when you see something like that, you're like, I wonder what they mean by that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of Sincast is brought to you by NatureBox. Get three free snacks with your first order. Just visit naturebox.com slash Sincast and use code SINS. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins, joined as always by the voice of Cinema Sins, Jeremy Scott. Holla. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Holla, holla. And oh, double holla. Hey, double hey. holla. <laughs> we are going into the sweet 16 of our. This is the last April one, right? I believe so. So yeah. April madness, and then we'll get into May madness later. Yeah. Almost, so. almost at the end, baby. Let the games begin! It's madness. It's madness, I tell you, for the love of God. Battle Royale. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. You're excited. Feel these nipples. So, yeah. So this time we're getting into our sweet 16 where it gets fucking harder. Yeah. (laughs) Exponentially. Exponential money. Oh, my God. Is it ever hard? Okay. (laughs) 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 all right um so let's get right into this let's please with our hardness um in the north region we have the number one seed jaws versus the 12 seed the shawshank redemption holy shit we started you off with a really hard one right off the bat oh my god yeah that's gonna be tough oh yeah i just saw jaws 2 again oh my god last time we recorded oh my god it's if you want a fun exercise, I think would be to watch Jaws and Jaws Two back mm-hmm. to back because it's day and night, and they, and yet Roy Schreider is there through both of them as sort of your same protagonist, and you have to wonder how many times on the set of the second one he was like, "What the fuck is?" Going on? <laughs> <laughs> there's all of that. There's like 30, 35 minutes out on the water where all the teenagers' boats are cobbled together because Jaws attacked them, and there's like a little kid who hit his head, and like. He's, Roy Schreider's been fired, but he steals the police boat to go save his own kid. And it's just like everything that was good about the first one. It's just like, right. let's not do that. In Jaws 2, do they say it's uh, like son of Jaws or is it like they didn't really get the la- the, the real one last time? My general, or- now, I did not watch start to finish, but my impression was just, oh, it's happening again. Oh, OK. So it's just another shark. Yeah, it's just another giant mm. great white shark. <laughs> which is <laughs> the exact same thing. Which is still two more times to come, I believe, right? Yeah, we had, yeah, like, yeah. There's there's three and there's and four. four. Yeah, yeah, because Mrs. Brody goes down to like Miami and the shark. Falls. I just know Dennis <laughs> Quaid yeah. is in the third one. I think it's Dennis or the third one. But Dennis Quaid's in one of well, them. And Michael Caine was in four, I believe. <laughs> John the revenge <laughs> poor michael king yeah um but yeah um so we have two extremely excellent movies here um and and i i would i would almost i'd venture to say i'd probably watch both of these in a night somehow i yeah. you know it, it's it's it, be a long night. yeah it wouldn't be you know it would they wouldn't go together by any means but uh, you know this is would be one of those things where if i had to choose i'm like okay let's see both yeah um so I don't know where our criteria is on on deciding between Jaws and Shawshank because this is almost like a I mean there's got several matchups like this where this is almost like a championship round. Oh yeah, this, this is like a final be two. The final two. 
It could be. Maybe it comes down to this. All right, so you got, for the primary characters for Jaws, you've got Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus, and then the tertiary character is super strong, mm-hmm. Robert Shaw and Quint. Who's the main tertiary character in Shawshank Redemption? The, the warden? Yeah, it'd be the, the warden. warden it'd be Bob Guten's war- warden. Yeah. Warden Norton. Warden. Yeah. Either that or uh, Haywood. Alexander Dumbass. But there's not like a super a, strong. Well, it's, it's, it's a supporting cast. cast. Yeah, it's a yeah. cast of characters. Yeah, it's a it's a giant uh, uh, group of character actors playing mm. prisoners in this, and they all have their little things. Like James Whitmore has his little scene, mm. and and uh, William Sadler has a couple like you know notable scenes here and there. But it, yeah, none nobody nobody has like a rule. Gil Bellows has one big episode in the yeah. middle of it, but um no, nobody is yeah nobody is up to the level of tim robbins how does gil bellows feel i mean he's got like man i looked in one of the greatest movies ever made and the rest of my career is completely forgettable like yeah. what, else, <laughs> what else has he been in that's i don't know note? i mean like other than ally mcbeal well yeah i, I mean it, that was the only other thing that i could think of that he was in that anybody would know and yeah he didn't really translate that into anything and i'm but wondering that's a prime fucking i would role. love to know the story behind that yeah, yeah was he one of those like you know asshole actors or mm-hmm. was he somebody that just didn't fit a type that you know he was handsome enough and he was decent enough but nobody gave him a, i don't know that's crazy yeah to I, think just, that I just now realized that because he's the lowest maybe what the lowest profile actor in a sizable role in this entire movie is it is this something where we have to come up with something negative about one of these movies to maybe no. possibly think of what could be better out of this group i mean well here's mm. the fun thing is that we're all going to eventually be pushed to our own final criteria on these tougher ones and i think we're allowed to use different criteria mm-hmm. like i was listening uh to the most recent episode before we launched it and you were talking about the empire and incredibles debate which i'm still wounded over Mm -hmm. (laughs) you were talking about which one of these two movies is aspiring to be more Mm -hmm. um and you could apply that standard in every one of these battles and use and pick your best judgment answer and i'm I'm not gonna have a beef with that right but you could also say cultural relevance or sheer entertainment value or one of my favorites how long did the movie stay with me and make me think about things and discuss things um and you know i just think that's the beauty of this whole fucking process is that mm-hmm. i mean we're already way past madness so yeah. we might as well just embrace it now <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you could use box office if you want i ain't gonna fucking care yeah well jaws obviously crushes it in that in well, that situation yes, indeed it does uh in fact even in 1975 dollars <laughs> <Yes>. jaws destroys <laughs> shawshank um but uh yeah we don't we don't uh, look at it that way and i i don't know i mean it really is i haven't decided yet yeah even as we're sitting here talking about like i mean we could sit here and talk for two hours on the merits of both of these movies probably yeah i'm wondering like i'm just trying to think of of differences between the two to me and it's not saying that that it's not the better movie but shawshank does have a few lulls Mm -hmm. and jaws doesn't right Mm -hmm. does it I, I mean, there is, has any Jaws lulls. has one major lull to me, and it's the part where they have the uh, they're they're shooting the uh, harpoons, and there's like that moment where they're just sitting there waiting for it to the buoys to show oh, up. Oh, when on, they're out in the water, yeah, and yeah. like, and there's a there's a point where there's that they're playing 
they're, it's playing that happy music while they're yeah. like, you know, and they're like, what is, what's going on? This, you know, what's the happy part about this? You know, I never understood what that was all about, but that's one moment where I'm sitting there going, ah, okay, come on, Joss. Yeah. I guess there is that time where, where it gets a little boozy, where he's just kind of like, you know, he's, he's drinking the wine and everything, or he's drinking the, he's drinking whiskey and Richard Dreyfus brings over this nice bottle of wine when he's coming to dinner and he just pours the wine like yeah. right into the whiskey. He's like, eh, yeah, there you go. Doesn't even say you're going to want to let the pre like you're gonna yeah. want to let that breathe and then he just starts pouring it <laughs> it's funny I've, I've i've become more of a wine snob as i've gotten into wine the last few years but i'm still not that guy i'm yeah. like i'm still opening my bottle and pouring within the same five seconds like, i don't need to let my wine breathe and maybe have cat hair get in it of course okay cats all right so I've I, have a feel, I have a feeling that this vote is going to be entirely on feel yeah entirely on feel yeah so what's our what's our um, order? It's me first, and I'm trying to I'm trying to poke holes, man. Uh, I think the library stuff. See, the library stuff is so rewarding though in Shawshank. That would be like the lull though is when it, it just maybe goes on like a beat or two too long for mm-hmm. me. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with it, but uh, I think Jaws from start to finish is is just perfect, and uh, and I'm gonna vote for that. All right. Uh, sorry, Jeremy. I'm gonna go with Jaws on this one, and it's God really damn. just a. I don't have any water bottles to throw. <laughs> it's a serious, like, feel the type of thing. Yeah. Jesus. I it, I had a hard time even when Shawshank was against Goodfellas. I mean, that was mm. a championship round in the first round to me, and yeah. I, I was prepared to ride Shawshank to the end. And I sort of felt bad that you know that it came down to like you know we're, we're gonna exit one of these movies in the first round. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it just based on pure feel, like you're saying all the way through jaws is pretty much perfection. Mm. Now, a lot of that is accidental perfection as we know, because he wasn't able to show Bruce the shark as much as he wanted to. Um, and it turned out to be a a great thing for that movie, but it also, it is a movie that actually has characters you care about. We talked about this before. It's yeah. a summer movie where characters actually matter. And the suspense is amazing. And the, the actual hunt is something that you get involved in. And yeah, at, in the end, I'm going to go with this one. It's by like the tiniest hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw that summer movie Passengers couple days ago from yep. last year and yep. i cared about andy garcia's character a lot. i did <laughs> you are you are right to care about his character so much um i was gonna vote shawshank i'm still voting shawshank and my criteria basically came down to big thoughts big deep mm. thoughts and impact on my life mm-hmm. and i think shawshank has had more and taught me more about humanity and others and in myself and i think both you know, had great aspirations that were different but equal. Both succeeded tremendously well, but at the end of the day, Jaws is still a thriller about a killer shark that I'm not going to take home and apply too many life lessons from that movie. Um, and maybe that's a stupid criteria. It doesn't fucking matter anyway because Shawshank <laughs> is already gone. IMDb's number one rated movie of all time. It is. Bounced. Sunk. Bitten. Chewed Chomped. upon. Chomped. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chomped. Yes. It's been toothered. <laughs> yes. It's been chomped. <laughs> it's yeah. a killer thriller. I, uh, I feel like half the listeners want Jaws and half the listeners want Shawshank. Yeah, probably. That's and there's how, probably at least one listener out there who still thinks like 
Goodfellas is in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's next. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, wow. One of those that you can't really, I mean, honestly, wow. I you could probably do this vote next week and I'd be like, hey, you know what? I've talked myself into joshing. <laughs> We went balls deep, like right out the jump there. Yes, Literally, we did. Right out the junk? Junk? That's <laughs> what that's what Barrett meant. <laughs> but then he said the real the, the right thing and said jump. Oh, I'm half deaf. That's right. You know this. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I heard you both vote for Shawshank a minute ago. So <laughs> oh, I'm elated right yeah. now. Yeah. That's amazing. Because right. I said something as simple as Jaws and you got Shawshank out of that. Jaws? Shank? Jawshank. Jaws. I'm sure somebody has put that mashup together on YouTube. They probably Jaws have. Basically, every mashup conceived has been done <laughs> yeah. at this point. It's the kind of thing where if you have to go Google, has this mashup been done before? Just assume it has yeah. and move on to a different mashup. <laughs> All right, give me another one that's going to break right. my fucking heart. All right. It, also in the North region, the three seed Silence of the Lambs versus the two seed Die Hard. Wow, mm. interesting. So now, yeah, this is a very interesting one. Yes, two enormous in- iconic characters yep. from these yeah and these are too close in era films mm-hmm. at least comparatively yeah, speaking three years apart yeah um at least compared to the, most of these matchups mm-hmm. um but again two completely wildly different things like anthony hopkins a hundred years from now will be remembered for this role in this movie and it's maybe one of the greatest acting performances ever right yep. i mean how you come off as creepy with this little screen time, and you've said it multiple times, Barrett, how he just lingers over the whole film, mm-hmm. even on the scenes he's not in. I don't know how we're going to do this. This yeah. is really, like, I'm going to be legit depressed by the time we're done with this. <laughs> as it, Yes, as it has been said before, even though Anthony Hopkins has, oh, about nine, ten minutes of screen time in this, yeah. it feels like he's in it the whole time. <laughs> and and that is that is a trick that is very hard to pull off. That's part, him, part Anthony Hopkins, it's part Jonathan Demme. Mm-hmm. Because they keep referring to Lecter and like Lecter's like uh, mindset is infesting Clarice's th- mindset and everything. And she's going up based on what he says. So a lot of the stuff that you see, a lot of the actions are because of Lecter in this. I think this is a movie that could still be made today just because of that character, only because of that character. Because mm. since this, and it is partially, if not greatly responsible for it, you got your criminal minds and you got your, you know, all these FBI profiler stuff, uh, Millennium, that uh, short-lived TV show with Lance Hendrickson. Eight different CSIs. Exactly. Three I mean, all of this. CISs. Yeah, it's all psychological profiles and everything. But I think in, in any movie that comes out that's tangentially related to that kind of thing, it's just is mostly garbage because it's all procedural and done before. But I think if you had this character, and this is why Red Dragon and Hannibal was actually watchable. Right. It was only because of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give Ray Fiennes some credit on Red Dragon. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he sufficiently creepy in that. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. who's one of the most uncomfortable death scenes I've ever seen on film <laughs> is in Red Dragon. Jesus. Yeah. Do you see? Yeah. Oh, God. He's like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, And now we got Die Hard. Which has Reginald Vell Johnson's best performance ever. Oh, that's that's inarguable. Yeah. That's inarguable. And I love Family Family Matters. Matters. (laughs) Yeah, sure you do. Messed it up. I actually, my, my son played soccer right across the street from the Family Matters house in Chicago. 
And I would just, and it's like an old folks home now. And I would just go up to the steps every once in a while and snap pictures. I had a friend try to compare Family Ties and Family Matters once and compared Urkel to Skippy Handelman. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I will say that it lays waste to his role in Ghostbusters, though. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Hey, yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, pretty much his whole line. Hey, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Maya wants to see you or some crap. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he, nobody and we've said this before bruce willis nobody thought that bruce willis was going to be a big action star we, yeah. we knew him from moonlighting mm-hmm. and uh as juror number something in the verdict that's all we knew from bruce willis <laughs> oh nice <laughs> um but uh like yeah i love this movie so much and we've and I'm, I'm sure there's nothing we can say about it that we haven't already talked about before but I just love the fact that this is a building that you have a kind of a good idea of where everybody is all at once. Yeah. You know, the and and he tackles this problem not as in a I need to slide down the elevator shaft and blow away all the bad guys and make sure I don't hit any friendlies at the same time type of way. Right. Which is what I believe we would see in a in an action movie uh, all located in one tower in a movie in 2017 yeah probably if it was a michael bay movie it would yeah. be how do i get down into that one level and shoot everybody <laughs> um whereas in this one it's 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 more about he sort of takes notes he kind of figures out how many people there are based on what they say over the radio that he's got that like that great scene where he's just on top of the elevator and he ha- he sends you know the the dude down with the, the Christmas hat and everything yeah. and uh and like they sit there and they talk and he's like sitting there scratching down names yeah. Yeah. that's the shit man yeah, it that is. it's not that's not what you came to to see but that is a perfect thing to put in a movie so that you understand why he's doing what he's doing well and it makes you long for you know more detective characters in movies to actually do some detective work right Mm -hmm. because i think that's his police street smarts coming through in the in the situation and we Mm -hmm. even see the counterpoint you know fbi cia guys who show up later who (laughs) just want to blast everything with a helicopter and a machine gun but he goes about it in such a smart way um to pick them off piece by piece to steal a radio to overhear the thing about detonators to wonder why hans was on the roof I, i just feel like you don't see that kind of smart stuff anymore. And, and even like Batman movies don't show us him yeah. doing detective work the way John McClane does in Die Hard. Yeah. Also, just yesterday, I saw the Friends episode where they watch Die Hard and yeah. they're all like, Die Hard, Die Hard. And, and then Joey's like, and now I rented another movie you might enjoy, Die Hard 2. <laughs> and Chandler looks at it and goes, that's Die Hard 1 again. And Joey's like, so let's watch it again. <laughs> they decide to watch it again because they love it so much. By the way, here's a completely random note from the series Love that was on Netflix. Uh-huh. This is this is the type of shit I love. This is the type of shit that I would bring up and whatever. But the the main character Paul Rust in that show um, is talking to Gillian Jacobs in there, and he's like he's like I was watching Friends, and there was you know the they they they've seen Die Hard, they know what Die Hard is oh. and everything, and then and then Bruce Willis yeah. shows up to like <laughs> I don't know who he dates Rachel right dates Rachel yeah. or whatever don't wouldn't they think like hey there's this guy that looks like Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah. that's in here never bring it up Ocean Twelve type of thing <laughs> yeah, right? yeah exactly yeah he was on two or three episodes he's actually the dad of a student that ross is dating at the college huh. and he's like all intimidating bruce then he's dating rachel and she helps him unlock his emotions and much like that seinfeld episode he can't shut it up <laughs> he's just crying about everything that's interesting but, you mentioned that because i think this is 
almost the the last part of expressive Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Because like he's actually like after this, even in Die Hard Two. And starting at Pulp Fiction and even the whole nine yards and stuff like that. He starts like shutting down this emotion. So I just happened upon Hearts War the other day. Oh, oh yeah. God. Oh, my God. That He's just like mask-like. Like he's got those hooded eyes and he's just you know, looking. He's yeah. got the tough guy demeanor. But in Die Hard, he's acting and he's mm-hmm. like emoting. And he's like, you know, that's the, the moonlighting thing is that kind of character is why people fell in love with them. And then it just became like this kind of just straight-laced, just kind of not nearly as fun to watch. You could argue the more his action status went up, the more stoic his performances became, almost as though he felt convinced that's what an action hero does. In fact, what made him an action hero was being atypical. Yeah, being the exact opposite, yeah. Yeah, yeah, being so sarcastic. Uh, You know, Die Hard is essentially perfect in my eyes. I really don't have anything negative I can say about it. And I never thought I'd be comparing it to something like Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> uh, they're both perfectly iconic in their own right, but this is a complete... I have no idea what you guys are going to do. This is a complete toss-up for me. Mm. Chris is first. I'm first. I'm going Die Hard. Ah. Um, and again, this is... this is. I, I said that quickly, but this is another one that I had to go on feel with. I, I feel like in this one, it's just the action is so smart and the and the performances are so well drawn out. You, I mean, you know, we've talked a, a ton about Alan Rickman and Hans Gruber. Basically, uh, his villain is just as iconic, almost as iconic as Hannibal Lecter. Yes, yeah, because arguably, yeah. as, as far as people trying to emulate what he did, yeah. it may be more. I mean, I think... People in the street mostly know Hannibal Lecter over Hans Gruber, but um, I think his performance is something that everybody tried to emulate. They all tried to do that afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just because, I mean, and I think this just, I just think this movie is, uh, yeah, perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. There's not anything in Die Hard where you're just going, well, that is just the shittiest thing ever or whatever. Right. Silence of the Lambs, I don't think there's anything really in that that I get upset at either. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, the, the stupid things with the, like, the guy jerking off and throwing his semen and all that. I mean, that's... Hey, yeah. that's Miggs being Miggs, That's baby. Miggs being Miggs. You know? Um, you know his name? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know the name of the semen throwing guy. It's yeah, man. The <laughs> trivia question. There, I mean, there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of things in there where you're like, there's some there's a little bit of age to Silence of the Lambs. Yep. a little bit. Um, because I do believe that you know there, I don't know. I we've talked about this before. Do we think that Buffalo Bill's condition in that movie is being treated with? 90s kind of eyes or or is that is that like an absolute like i think that's a character trait more than it is the way that they're treating it okay Uh, because he is using and it's based on you know an actual serial killer i think it was ed gain Mm -hmm. uh that used women's skin Mm -hmm. as as his clothes because he wanted to become a woman this is how this is the only way that he was he was able to do it in his warped mind but he was still going to be a killer no matter what it just happened to be well and and to be fair hannibal lecter when he's talking about this guy he doesn't have any offer any judgments or anything like that that's what i love about that character by the way is that he is 
otherwise normal on the outside. He's ethereal, but he's otherwise just like he doesn't he don't give a fuck what your background is or whatever. Mm-hmm. If he is targeting you, he's going to eat your spleen. Right. So ultimately, I think there's there's just the slight bit of ridiculousness in Silence of the Lambs and the slightest bit of age to mm. where going up against Die Hard, which is three years older than this one. Uh, where I don't see much age in Die Hard. Hmm. The only thing in Die Hard that dates it is the gas prices when the camera goes. Down. <laughs> <laughs> only, I wonder what it is. It's like so ninety something it's really cents. Low. Um, it's really low. That's the only thing that really dates it. Every there's no real um, there's no real like references or anything like that. It's just it's great action movie. So mm-hmm. that's what, that's what I'm going with. All right. Well, I'm also going Die Hard. Ah, um, and. Uh, it is kind of that arbitration thing. I'm looking at Silence of the Lambs and seeing a few more flaws and gaps than mm. I see when I look at Die Hard. Never really, never really bought Jodie Foster's accent completely in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is the nittiest of nitpicks. Um, <laughs> but I buy all the accents in Die Hard. No, I'm not actually making this on a- <laughs> you, accents. You bought or John Gruber's German or, accent. Or jogging scenes. <laughs> uh, I just think Die Hard is a... Hair point one percent better achievement, um, closer to perfection. Um, I don't know what you were going to vote. I'm sorry, I took it away from you. I was going to vote Die Hard uh, just because there's there's little eccentricities that I don't know where they came from in in Silence of the Lambs. Like uh, the accent, every once in a while, will go over the top with with Jodie Foster, and then you've got that that crazy line when uh, Hannibal Lecter's meeting with the senator from Memphis, and she's walking away and he's like, Senator. Love your suit. It's like, what the fuck is that, man? Like, that doesn't have any place in this. Uh, but uh, he had to get that extra, like, 20 seconds of screen time. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Die Hard unanimous. Wow. I'll tell you what, man. This is a this is a dude-centric region right here. Yeah. You got your Jaws and your Die Hard. Like, it's three guys. This is not, like, people voting the notebook or something like that right. to be like the the, the next level well, this also is, the notebook is trash oh, so yeah that's true you, well, you should have named something good you know either way if we had picked shawshank in terms of endearment if we had picked shawshank and silence of the lambs it would have been sort of dude centric yeah, yeah. i mean we're kind of dude centric because we are dudes we're, and we're dudes. sorry about that <laughs> Um, anyway, as you may have surmised, that leaves an elite eight matchup of Jaws and Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's chalk, baby. Holy shit. We're going to be down to eight teams after today, right? That's right. We are. This is brutal. Um, on to the East region where we go number one seed children of men Hmm. versus the 12th seed eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. This one's going to hurt. It is going to hurt. This one's going to hurt a lot. Wow. These are both very emotional movies. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And movies that excel in addition to visually, but with concept and with performances. Like, the things that Children of Men does really, really right, so does Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. But after our last talk about Eternal Sunshine, I was so wrapped up in it, I went home and realized I didn't have a copy Bought it, asked my wife if she'd ever seen it. She said no, and I showed it to her. Um, it's just, oh, it's so feely. Did she like it? Oh yeah, she liked it. Nice. I don't think she was, I don't think she was quite as blown away as I was. Um, but it's it's not an easy movie to get your head around on one no. viewing. Yeah, 
because uh, there were a lot of like technical questions she was asking me that had nothing to do with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the first time I watched this movie, I completely forgot. Like I said, I watched this movie recently, like last month, mm-hmm. and I forgot how it opens <laughs> and how how they meet each other, which is really the second time yeah. in the beginning of the movie. And it's got such this odd time structure. I, you know, this movie came out during the time pe- time period where I was in movie theaters, like most of these. Yeah. And uh, and when you watch a movie like this late at night, you're not gonna really catch everything that you should mm-hmm. by the end of it. I did remember leaving it, going, "Man, I love that movie," but there were still some questions in my head, just yeah. going, "You know, I didn't quite get a lot of the, the, some of the stuff," but, um. But yeah, this movie is, like I said, it's better than I thought it was when I watched it the second time. Well, they're both visual achievements. Mm -hmm. You've never seen anything, both of these, you've never seen anything like it. I agree. I have never seen anything like those one take, you know, set pieces that we keep talking about, especially that end uh, part where they're walking through the the rubble and everything. Um, And then I certainly have never seen anything like the visuals in Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. And it makes me kind of miss... I'm sure there's high concept shit out there that is on par with this, you know, in recent stuff, but I can't remember anything that made me as floored as this shit, you know, from top to bottom, from head to heart. Yeah. And if you're just talking visuals, I think I definitely think there's some stuff in Doctor Strange that wowed me Mm -hmm. the way Eternal Sunshine and Inception visuals wowed me. I don't think the film has the sustenance that Eternal Sunshine does or even Inception. Uh, but visually speaking, that's the only thing I can think of recently that really kind of wowed me in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Children of Men, this guy was messaging us on Twitter yesterday, I think. Finally got around to watching Children of Men. Holy cow. Holy <laughs> balls. Mm-hmm. What a film. I've had that three or four times in the last week. Children mm-hmm. of Men seems to be the one. Even though I don't think we've hyped it more than others in this podcast, it seems to be the one I get the most feedback on when people double down and decide, okay, I'm going to watch what you recommended. It seems to be Children of Men more often than not for some reason. I know. I, it was, it's so underseen, right? It, it really is. But I, if hell, at the end of the day, if all we accomplish with this podcast in a year and a half is that more people see Children of Men, yeah. I'm calling that a net win. <laughs> Absolutely. It's that good of a film. Yeah. I, I, I said it before. 25 weeks ago, I'll say it again. It's I think it's the best movie made since the year 2000. And then mm. after the success that he's had, Alfonso Cuaron's had with Gravity and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you would think that there would be a lot of people going back to this and saying, now maybe they have. You just haven't, because the movie is 11 years old now, we just don't see a lot of people talking about it. But I don't really run into a lot of people who are like, yeah, that movie's great or anything it like that. It may have the same kind of the same titling problem as Shawshank Redemption. You know, I mean it's it's an innocuous title. It, I remember the the poster wasn't anything, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was eye catching or They should have called it Baby Saver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they should have called it Edgar Wright's Baby Saver. Yeah. <laughs> And had like Ben Stiller and his like you know whatever he was in Tropic Thunder at the beginning where he's doing the what is it Simple Jack No the beginning the beginning of the Scorcher? movie Scorcher when he's in he's in that he's in that garb and no one saw it coming three that, more times that same look he gives when he's looking up into the sky and everything yeah. that Ben Stiller look um, but uh, yeah yeah Children of Men. Uh, it, I can't remember what I had number one in 2006, but it was in the top five, I'm mm. sure. Um, th- that was 
that was one of my like great first New York uh, great movie experiences mm. was when I was living there in that three year period. Uh, Children of Men was one of those movies that came out going, oh my God, that movie's so awesome. <laughs> How many people can I tell about this right now? <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it just never really has gotten, as far as I know, it hasn't gotten that great word of mouth where mm-hmm. everybody talks about it and says, you know what? I didn't see that when it it's came out. because it wasn't called Baby Saver. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. Children of Men sounds too basic. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, you know, what is this about again? Well, what? having seen it, I think it's perfect. But in terms of a, a title trying to pull someone in, yeah. uh, it's not a very good title. But I think what the movie is, I think it's a very perfect title. For, mm-hmm. At least you see where they got it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like. I love that part where he's like, who's the father? And she's like, well, I'm a virgin. I don't know why I gave her a British accent. But uh, yeah, so she's like... <laughs> <laughs> but she's like you know i'm a a virgin and he's like really and she's like oh fuck you you know i don't don't know who it was yeah yeah. it was it was uh you know one of dozens of guys or something like that yeah yeah. uh, it's funny it's funny it's funny it's got humor and michael cain's character has a lot of humor and uh man it's it's got a little bit of everything yeah well i love michael cain in this movie because he does add so much humor but he also adds a lot of the heartache at the end Mm -hmm. at at least the end of his character's portion of the film it's really sad yeah um but uh, he's a charmer there in the beginning. Mm-hmm. First first scene with him is just gold. And both of these movies have that same type of sci-fi type of thing that we I think we all in here like, where it's not overtly sci-fi. Right. It looks like the real world yeah. on the outside, but there's this one technology or one aspect of life that's going on that is is co- totally sci-fi. Yeah. You know, um, I think. You know, Children of Men is not something that's too far off, really. I think there's something that could happen, like it, you know, some unexplained thing that. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, you know, if there could be one of the like, you know, like the bees. You know, there was a big thing about the bees for a long time. Not the bees. Yeah, not the bees. There was a, you know, they well, we don't know what is this colony disorder type of thing. Then they found out, oh, it's because of all the poison that they were throwing down in the mm-hmm. air, and that's yeah, the reason why the bees were dying. And they're like, oh, we need to stop throwing that poison out of here. What if there was some chemical that we just used every day? They didn't have tests on it for 10, 20 years or whatever. Or even something like Zika, right? That causes birth defects mm-hmm. so rampantly. What if there was a pandemic that mm-hmm. did something to cause us to not be able to give birth it's a believable enough premise right and i think the same thing with eternal sunshine even though i think that's even more sci-fi than what children of men is going Mm -hmm. on but i mean even that i mean we were talking about this recently talking about the you know putting the thing on our head and like downloading memories and all that that's a reality right now not memories but like motor functions Uh and stuff Uh like that uh i don't think it's too far i mean you've seen i don't know if you've seen those like um where the computer can map out what the what your dream was oh like, wow. kind of like not like a perfect picture or anything but just enough of something to make you go whoa huh uh anyway go find that That's awesome. uh, yeah. both of these movies what we're praising is the fact that they use sci-fi as a step to examine greater humanity issues mm-hmm. it's not about look at our lasers and our look at our 
awesome badass Batmobile future cars yeah. to design, right. or the you know killer bots in the sky. It's not about that. It's about yeah, we're in the future, and here are the differences. But really, I want to talk about humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of these films do that. Yeah, they're going to be very hard to choose. Oh yeah. So you uh, get to start. You get to start. Children of Men. Ah. Um, they're both great, but. I think Children of Men is the best movie made since 2000. Thank God The Matrix came out in 99. I have to <laughs> amend that statement. Um, <clears throat> it is just top to bottom uh, a home run in concept, in execution, acting, script, action. Those one takes are jaw-dropping to the mm-hmm. point where I often rewind them to watch them again <laughs> immediately. Uh, it's Children of Men for me all the way. Sorry, Jim Carrey. I think you're right. They both have a firm grasp on humanity, but I think one is more grounded in character and i think it's eternal sunshine and i'm gonna vote for that um yeah this is one in one a for me uh but i think one and it it may vacillate back and forth but i think uh one to me is eternal sunshine and spotless mind concept characterizations acting writing man like it, it just it it checks every single box uh for me and they're both great but that's my vote wow so yeah, I think both of these movies do something well that the other doesn't mm. or whatever. Like, you're right. I think Eternal Sunshine does have better characterization. So you can really, like, live with those live with those guys and everything. And it's got a great little concept mm-hmm. to it. And all the little side things that are happening in this. The Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst yep. thing yep. and uh, the Elijah Wood and all that. These are all, like, uh, fun little things that kaufman puts in a screenplay and then and then michelle gondry shoots this in such a way that you're just like being taken through this like this whirlwind or it's whatever. a dream it you're really is dreams. it's it's like it, it's got those edges of the periphery it's it's spotlit mm-hmm. to where you can't see around there and that makes it almost claustrophobic but beautiful yeah absolutely uh my vote's children of men oh, um yeah. that that movie is exactly almost what jeremy is saying and if and there's a chance that we could be really digging in on the next round if it, if, mm-hmm. if, if if something happens but uh, I agree. Children of Men is at least one of the top ten movies of this of this new millennium yeah. and everything. And um, I ha- I would be very hard pressed to go up against it now. And Eternal Sunshine, I think it may even be in that conversation as well. Yeah, yeah. I just think Children of Men is just a sl- slight bit higher. And we were talking about like action scenes. I've talked talk, talk about that every time about Children of Men. That the suspense the way they shoot it everything it's exhilarating all the way through and yeah yeah so i'm gonna go with, with that movie here all right well another one bites the dust yeah jeez <laughs> it's a massacre it's all going very fast now at this point okay so this one's gonna be super hard for me mm-hmm. i don't know wh- who's who's first vote on the. it'll be me it'll be you mm-hmm. on this one uh and who will be last jeremy jeremy will be last okay um i've i watched these two movies yesterday oh Oh, yeah (laughs) uh to to sort of gauge what i would feel about a a matchup like this because this is definitely one of our hardest ones and Mm. we just went through a couple hard ones uh the six seed there will be blood against the two seed city of god wow you watched both (laughs) of those movies yesterday i did wow that was a heavy day it was a heavy day yeah I yeah, there will be blood. I had to watch in like some pieces because I had all this other bullshit. But uh, and then I watched City of God late last night, um, and 
yeah, here are two movies who that are so ridiculously excellent mm-hmm. that yeah, by the end of it, I was just sort of going, oh, what, what are I, how am I going <laughs> to pick between these two movies? So without answering your pick, did it give you any clarity to have watched them both yesterday? I, th- I think it did slightly, only very slightly. Um. I think there's, I think one, oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to give away anything that I sort of thought about during this, but both of these movies, I mean, I think There Will Be Blood is, is definitely trying to be an American masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I think Paul Thomas Anderson basically from the start to finish was sitting there going, I want to make the great, like, just like a great American novel, I want to make the great American movie. Yeah. And that's exactly what he went for. And I think he hit it. Mm Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, City of God was going for that too. They just missed wildly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About Brazil. Yeah, yeah. They were they were trying to be Damn it. so American. Let's go ahead and vote this. Their first uh, problem was the casting because yeah. they didn't cast any Americans. Um, but City of God it has it has a lot of elements of it has a lot of elements of Godfather. It has a lot of elements of Pulp Fiction in mm-hmm. it. Um, and the way it tells its story is is so unique. It it has this it'll tell you a a shade of the story like at the beginning of it it's the tender trio Mm -hmm. and it's these three wannabe hoods basically who are who don't have any idea what they're doing and they carry around this little uh you know little d is who they call him in the first thing or Mm -hmm. little d's or little dice or whatever and benny are those two kids who are hanging around this tender trio group and like you see the, what happens to the tender trio and you you see some like elements of what you'll see later in that first story. And then it'll go, all right, now here's the story of Lil Zay. Yeah. And now here's the story of the apartment and here's mm-hmm. the story of, and I just love how it just keeps throwing these little wedges in. It's not linear at all. No. And, uh, and you know, great characters. And then we've talked about it before. Benny, like they, they make this, point to say he's the coolest hood yeah in in the in the city of god he is you want to be that guy yeah you want to be benny now all during the whole movie you see traces of what's going to be a conflict with his character and lil zay uh where lil zay wants to just kill somebody right off the bat and benny's always the one who comes over oh no 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 just 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 kick him out man he doesn't need to be here anymore blah 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 he got he learned his lesson you don't need to kill him all that he's always trying to be that yeah. wall between and and you can see why he's such an important character to the whole thing that happens in this movie mm-hmm. yeah, um, and those this is the slummiest slum that you can think of. oh yeah everything it's crazy the body count seems like it's it's pretty pronounced in this movie mm-hmm. just because you know especially when it becomes that big gang war yep but man they they will off a motherfucker like nothing yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that is fucked up man it really yeah. is like what what's great about this is when when rocket finally makes it out of the slum and starts working at the at the newspaper mm-hmm. it's like it's you don't you're, you've been living in that world in that slum the whole movie that you forget about the rest of the world like yeah. you come up for air and you're like shit i know it and you know he's like he comes from this slum and she's like are you serious like there is this oppressiveness that you you get all the way through the movie like the yeah. You know, out in that like out of middle of nowhere slum place where they come from to to the city part of the slum, mm-hmm. and yeah, when he goes to that 
newspaper office it's like whoa this is so different and there when he when he had when he spends the night with the reporter Mm -hmm. uh she's like uh she's like hey you need to have a hot shower he's like you ever had a hot shower and he's like no yeah and he's crazy yeah and he's like uh he's like uh we all we do is like heat up the kettle or something like (laughs) that and that's how they they have a warm bath and uh and like it's just oh my god it's just <laughs> you know that, that movie gets just down and dirty man and mm-hmm. um it's so well put together and i and again i love the i love the knockout ned thing and we brought up before but <laughs> the knockout ned thing is why didn't that fucker kill me and then it goes to <laughs> little zane and goes hey why didn't i kill that fucker <laughs> um what's funny about knockout ned is that he only appears like it seems like two thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes a central fucking character. That's the way that story is told yeah. because the he he's first introduced with Rocket and his friend on a bus, and they and Rocket is sitting there like contemplating on, well, should I be a hood too? Mm-hmm. Like it'd be easy to knock over this bus, and this guy knock it now. It's got this drawer of money in front of him. Yeah. He's just sitting there like you know putting all these dollars in there and everything, and then. You know, you find out like there's two times where they think they're going to steal or whatever, and mm. they just come out going, "Ah, I couldn't do it, man. They were just too cool." Yeah, you know? <laughs> they were just too cool. Um, yeah, that movie is just got everything going on, and there will be blood has got everything going on, and it's just a hard, hard, hard pick. Uh, I know, I know that you're not. You haven't seen There Will Be Blood more than like the one time, right? Right. right. Yeah, and it, that movie is hard to get into for a lot of people. I mean, it's a it when Daniel Plainview is not like a, a likable guy. No, at all. no, no. But you see his character at the beginning of this man. He is how driven that guy is. How long was he looking for like the silver or whatever it is he's digging for at the beginning? I can't remember what exactly. It yeah, was. it was silver. It was silver. How long has he been? De- There's a you see his scraggly ass beard. Yeah. And like how long he's probably been by himself, by himself. (laughs) And then he breaks his leg and crawls over miles probably to go and get it weighed and get, I believe the paper says he gets $3,000, which is probably like in Mm. 1898. It's, you know, crazy amount of money. Yeah. The next time we see him, he's searching for oil. It's like four years later and he's got a crew. Yeah. Um, I just love that. I love the opening of that movie. It's so well done. Uh, he does have an arc. I think I mentioned when we talked about this movie initially, I thought that he he was definitely using his son, his adopted son, H.W., as a chip to, yep. to get in. But when you watch it again, I watched it a couple of days ago, actually, and he really loves that kid. Yeah, like he, he, he definitely really does. does. He's his only his only tie to humanity, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, because his brother... He started to, or his, his supposed brother, he starts to like almost open up a little bit and then that goes to shit. And after that, he's just off the cliff. Yeah. And then after he sends HW away, he's way off the cliff. And by the end of it, you see the 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 perils of wealth like you've never seen before. The guy's completely isolated. He has nobody. He has all the money in the world. He has all the space in the world, but he has nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's so entrenched in his his shitty life that he thinks everything he says is right. Yeah. He, say, he thinks everything he, he's done, the ends justify the means, even though the ends are shitty. If he's challenged in the least bit, he always has to go and try to prove himself mm-hmm. 
Like when he is, he does. The reason why, in the last time when we were talking about this movie, and I compared it to She's All That, uh, <laughs> there was um, there was uh, the part where I knew though that he really cared for his H.W. is when he's going through that I've abandoned my child mm. and all that, where he's going through the machinations machinations of saying I've abandoned my child for Paul Dano's punishing him, mm-hmm. uh, basically when he says I abandoned my boy that's when he really actually breaks yeah yeah and everything else was surface up until that point it's amazing really how many fake relatives are in this movie for him Uh, that's his you know sort of his uh de facto son Mm -hmm. after after the the guy dies at the beginning of the movie um and he treats him horribly uh, his brother who shows up treats him obviously very horribly. And then there's a point where Paul Dano even says, you're my brother because they're, mm-hmm. they're actually related through marriage at that point. Mm-hmm. And he obviously gets treated very poorly. Yeah. Um, I really actually, after watching a movie like there will be blood, I, I want to talk about it for like four or five hours yeah. because there's so many, like there's so many things you can dig from his character and the way this story is told and everything like that. I could just, yeah, I could go on forever about like all these little things about sexual repression yeah, and, uh, and, and just, and just about, you know, his religious sort of the way he looks at religion and everything. He knows that Paul Dano is a charlatan and Paul Dano knows he's a charlatan and they know each other. They know that they know it's, it's, it's crazy. I, there was one thing too. I had the subtitles on this one and I didn't notice before, but I I know that there's the scene where he, Paul Dano goes up to him and says, where's my money, Daniel. And Daniel like beats him up and throws him in that like sludge or whatever. And, um, and like so later on after that, Paul Dano's at the, at the (laughs) kitchen table, just like nothing but mud all over his face. And uh, and he's and he's talking to his dad and he's like, he's you are a stupid, stupid man, Abel. You are a stupid, stupid man. And he like beats up his dad basically over Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, But there's a part in there where in the subtitles, I didn't notice this during the like you think at some point, either he's given up on this five thousand dollars that Daniel owes him in the church or they somehow some way there's going to be an agreement or whatever. By the end of that, I've abandoned my child scene or whatever. There's a point where Dano says something like, "Is like, and he is, uh, he is, he is still has five thousand dollars he owes this church or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> he's just kind of randomly nice. says that or whatever. Um, so yeah, two movies that are absolutely incredible. Yep, I I would and and I have I have watched these back to back. I would if he had them sitting in front of you, I would not pick one or the other which one would you pick first i would watch them simultaneously (laughs) Mm -hmm. to better enjoy each of them that's correct well man you we were talking about in the untouchables where de palma is directing his ass off Mm -hmm. like paul thomas anderson i think this is probably his best directed movie um as i've watched it again i don't know if it's my favorite one between boogie nights and this Mm -hmm. uh but he goes for it yeah is is crazy uh, having said that, and I love this movie, but it it took a little bit of shine off when I when I watched it recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm going City of God all mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. That is a shocking movie to me because, like I think all of us, when I first started watching it, I was like, "What the shit is this?" And then it became this gorgeous thing that I, I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is going to be unanimous because City of God is my pick. Woohoo! Um, when watching these two movies back to back, there I know that I, if you were to pick strictly on what movies is trying to ascend to a higher plane, there will be blood mm-hmm. beat City of God. But City of God has so much more fun, more humor, uh, a, a complex story. Um, it and it's got all those fun little, you know, even though the, they're kind of like you know, like the one about the guy who the kid who joins the gang just so that he can he can uh, kill his father's murderer or whatever, right. you know, that sort of comes back as one of these you know mm-hmm. it's even that's not even even that's not really contrived in a way like it's it's a it's a cool little thing like at the beginning you're like he's like i'm just want to have a revenge on my father's murderer and you see knockout ned look up at him like that's a <laughs> that's a that's a crazy thing for a kid to say <laughs> but you don't know that it was him right that was <laughs> but um there's so many little coincidences and everything that i like in it it's a the story is just so well done um, I think if this movie had come out uh, in a in a year that wasn't Lord of the Rings: Return of the King year, mm. it might have gotten a little bit more Oscar recognition too. Mm. It certainly should have won editing over Return of the King. Yes. Um, but um, and restraint, the yeah. Academy Award for restraint. <laughs> I I have I have often said that this is my favorite movie yeah. of the new millennium. And um, before I go into the next matchup. Jeremy, what are you going to Yeah, City of God. Um, These are both, interestingly, movies I watched late because you guys liked them so much. Mm -hmm. And I liked them both a lot. But City of God was the one that I was like, I want to watch that 12 more times very Mm -hmm. soon. And I think there is a little bit, like, I don't get into The Master. And I know you guys both like Mm -hmm. that movie. But that movie's just, it's just a little bit of a brick wall for Mm -hmm. me. And I get a 10% version of that. In there will be blood. Yeah, it's I could just a little, a little hard for me to to get sucked in. And City of God, other than that ten minute like documentary opening that we all <laughs> say feels a little weird, takes no time to suck me in. Um, I mentioned last time. I don't, I'm not even conscious of the fact I'm reading subtitles. Yeah, uh, it's just it's amazing. It's great. It's great, 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 and it wins. Yoo-hoo! So. Yeah, Jeremy and I are going to be at war next week, and it all depends on Barrett. What is it, Matrix versus Back of the Future or some shit? Uh, and it's Children of Men versus City of God, which we both said the same things about each movie. Oh, you're talking about the next round. About being, yeah. That, yeah, we are. Well, I'll leave it up to Barrett, who liked both of those movies enough that he could go either way. And that's another tough one. Um, it's definitely going to have of in the title. And it's I'm, be the yeah. And, and well, and, you know, it's the one that we always confuse, right? Like, uh, City of Men was a thing. and <laughs> Children of God. Yeah, yeah. Children of a Lesser God. That's right. Um, um, but Children of Men is City of God. I am going to watch Children of Men before that matchup. Yeah, so idea. that I can um, I can sort of refresh my memory on that. But yeah, that will be the Elite Eight matchup there. We have been talking about Nature Box uh, quite a bit, and there's a good reason for that. It's awesome. It's we love them. It's delicious. Em. It's delicious. Um, and now, when you do go to naturebox.com slash syncast, you can see our favorite snacks. That's right, baby. Ours handpicked by Chris Barrett and I as the snacks we would most recommend you try first. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I haven't had a bad one yet. Yeah, I mean, that's the same here. Every time we've gotten a new box that has come in here, yeah. I've tried everything, and they're all like, 
wow, these are just amazing, mind-blowing type of snacks. I would never, ever eat some of the stuff. Right. If you put the like ingredients next to each other, I'd right. be like, nope, no. But because Nature Box is on there, I'll try it out. And yeah. it's, oh, this is actually delightful. But listen to this lineup here. We got white cheddar caramel popcorn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Say that, that five that, times fast. That mm-hmm. shit is awesome. Preach. Yes. Preach. Uh, we got vanilla bean wafers. Oh, my Come God. On. Now it's even better. Listen. And then we got the sourdough cheddar pretzels, mm-hmm. yeah, which on. nobody can resist. Okay, my last box that my wife and I got, mm-hmm. we got nine snacks. <laughs> oh, my God. Them, two of them were um, sourdough cheddar pretzels. <laughs> I swear to God, they were both gone in 24 hours. Oh, man. My wife had none of them. Oh, my God. And there are still unopened snacks from that delivery in our cupboard. But I went, I tore through. the. It's like crack. Yeah. They're so freaking good. I have to like pour them into a little tiny shot glass to try and portion control them so I don't eat too many at once. The way people drink alcohol, you're actually like yes, pouring it. Exactly. exactly. I'm doing a shot of sourdough pretzels just to make sure I don't do the whole bag in a sitting. Um, I did try the new strawberry lemonade uh, fruit stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to I have haven't had a chance. Yet, but they are delightful. Nice. And I've seen a bunch more pictures on Twitter in the last few days of people who've been ordering Nature Box and starting their day with Nature Box and Nice. Sharing photos of their bags and their snacks on the way to work and whatnot. And Nature Box sometimes chimes in on Twitter. And it's just one big happy family. It's good stuff, man. It I'll tell you what, stuff. starting your day, this granola, the stuff, I don't know what your, your take is on granola. Oh, but I granola goes with everything. It's like the ketchup of healthy snacks. <laughs> <laughs> like you pour that on your yogurt, you pour that on your cereal. Chew half a banana and then just dip the rest into granola. It You're adds be fine. a tasty crunch yes, to it, everything. Yes, it does. A tasty yes, crunch. Yes, that's right. And if you go to naturebox.com slash syncast, you get three free snacks with your order. Three free awesome. snacks. That's right. That that's right. is amazing. It is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, anything you order, I, I really have a hard time believing you're going to hate it. And mm-hmm. even Nature Box doesn't believe you're going to hate it. They will replace it yep. for free. So, yep. I mean, basically no risk here. And you can even get our box. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you can get our box of get up in that box. selected uh, snacks, and they're all awesome. They're yes. all swear. They, we all swear by them. That's right. Yes, we give them all t- two thumbs up. I was try- I had to remember how many thumbs we have. Mm. <laughs> Mm. One last thing I wanted to say about Nature Box uh, is that because you were talking about the pineapple last time. Oh, those are so good. Uh, I was telling you how much my wife loves those. Mm-hmm. But, so I, st- I just started ordering any of the dried fruit snacks that they had. So we got some mangoes. We got some peaches. She loves it. It's mm-hmm. like the best dried fruit she's ever had. And uh, I can't get my hands on it. Of course, I'm hoarding things from her, too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. Called mm-hmm. marriage for a reason. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things where, like, you just accidentally go to some one place in the house and there just happens to be something hidden behind, like a yeah. mantelpiece or like a secret room. <laughs> it's a uh, secret room. You know, like, you, like somebody accidentally pulls, like, you know, the Ten Commandments out of their out of, of the bookcase and it's like, ooh, a whole secret room opened up in our house. Oh, look at all this stash of nature boxes behind here. That's crazy. Yeah. That no, huh? oh, so weird. All right, so the URL, go to naturebox.com slash syncast. Enter the promo code SINS. We have our own fancy promo code, and you get three free snacks with your first order. That's S-I-N-S. That's right. Yes. So, yeah. Can't spell SINS without SIN. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeremy's iron. <laughs> Jeremy's iron. <laughs> <laughs> On to the South region, where we have the number one seed, Schindler's List. Versus the five seed, the Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Now, 
I also watched Schindler's List over the weekend. Oh, Ooh, you were busy. This was my first time seeing Schindler's List since 1993. Wow. Oh, wow. I watched, I've seen parts of it since 1993. I just never have popped it in and watched it from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I I, uh, I did it this time. It's been 24 years since I've seen wow. it all the way through um obviously uh super excellent there's no, <laughs> there's not anything that has been said about it that is wrong uh as far as you know people giving heaping on a praise on it and mm-hmm. everything. um it's a movie that is three hours and 15 minutes long yep uh and it doesn't feel that way like somehow some way he's got that paced just right where like after an hour you're like okay this feels like this can go on for a couple more hours mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like you know Oh, it's about to, you know, you get to that hour mark and you're like, ah, that'll be an end in about 30, 40 minutes or whatever. It'll be perfect. Um, movie is beautiful. The The Blu-ray that I have uh, of this movie, the cinematography is gorgeous. Mm. It's black and white, but it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, anyway, what, uh, what do we want to say about these movies? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't have much I want to say because I'm, I'm ready to vote and... I don't really want to talk about it much. Barrett? Two amazing directorial feats here. Yeah. You know, very different, obviously. Two, this is not a fair comparison, but reality-based, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, man, it's, it's a cliche at this point based on a true story. But I think when you have that sort of resonance when you have that tie to reality it makes the stakes seem a little bit higher mm-hmm. you know even though the untouchables is more of a retrofitted i would say almost a little bit cartoony version of this and schindler's list is so grounded in reality and uh the use of the black and white like you said man is is really when you can use black and white in something this expansive it's 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 a it's an amazing feat mm-hmm. right yeah i uh i I don't think, even though a lot of people may have had color purple in the back of their minds when Schindler's List came out, I'm not quite sure I did when this movie came out, and I was not prepared for Spielberg to be able to knock this out of the park. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I was very used to, as a kid, very used to all the stuff he'd come out with, Jaws, Close Encounters. Raiders, E.T. I was very used to those movies. And then I knew of, I think I'd even seen stuff like Always and uh, Empire of the Sun and all that. But I just never thought of Spielberg as a director who took on material like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you can see some conflict a little bit in him when he's doing this movie. Because there's a bit of a, and, I, and this has been said before, I believe, about this movie. There, there are some moments in in uh, Schindler's List where he he looks like he's trying to make this exciting and riveting, mm-hmm. but he he's conflicted because you don't want to make this exciting and riveting. Right. This is especially in the scene where it's the liquidation of the ghettos. Oh yeah. That scene uh, where everybody's being kicked out of their house and all that, and like they get the initial like most of the group that's like all right we're we're gonna we're leaving we're getting out of here but then of course there's a lot of people who are hiding and he makes that sort of a suspense thing Mm -hmm. where there are people like all in sort all sorts of places in this one guy's like tied taped under his bed Mm -hmm. uh there's like a whole group of people like in a closet or an attic or something like that 
And of course, like, you know, once the camera goes away, you just start hearing blasting and everything. Mm. And like, uh, and then there's a scene like right outside of it. Cause Ray finds at the beginning of the scene is, as uh, this really like just unbelievable speech where he's talking about, um, 600 years ago, the Jews came down to Poland and they became world-class in education and all this. Tonight that all of that comes to an end. And so he's outside like at, at night, cause they've sat there and waited up till the nighttime yeah. because they know they're hiding in there. Yeah. And, and so there's all this, you know, shooting going on. Ray Fiennes is outside, uh, talking with his men and everything and uh and like in the background you just see nothing but like flashes of bullets just in the windows and it's another type of thing where spielberg's like he's right on the edge there Mm. where he's making it just a little bit too much of an action movie but he's still like i want you to know the horrible you know he's he's conflicted you can tell he's so conflicted making this movie yeah um and and that's that's nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. So um, I also love how much Schindler just totally owns uh, Ray Fiennes, like in the the mental yeah battle, the the relationship where he like yeah. I mean, he basically owns. He, he's terrified of this guy as he should be, but he he starts with that whole "there's more power in pardoning than executing," mm-hmm. and then he's he's wormed his way into Ray Fiennes' character's life as one of his confidants. To the point where he can kiss that woman on the lips at that party, mm. and Rafe goes to bat for him. Mm-hmm, yeah, and says he's a man. He'd had some a bunch of drinks. It was yeah. a woman. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you should have seen this woman. he's like talking about there's a there's an infestation going on among the, the German soldiers. There's, you know, it's, it's you know, like the Jews. They infest your mind. Blah 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 blah. That type of thing. Um, yeah, th- I th- I was struck mainly on this new viewing of it of how how masterful he is with everybody it's yeah. not just amon it's yeah. this a whole at the very beginning he's laying the groundwork he kind of knows where things are going and he at the beginning of a party at the beginning of the schindler's list nobody knows who schindler is mm-hmm. by the end of it he's dancing he's taking pictures with yeah. everybody and there's yeah. one guy who comes in at the end he's like and the guy's like, who's that? And he's like, it's Oscar Schindler. Yeah. Like everybody knows at this point <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And, uh, and, the, and this guy lays the groundwork for what he's going to do. Now, here's one thing that confused me a little bit about the last time we talked about this movie. And, I, and watching it, I wasn't quite sure where to go with this. But uh, he starts this off as pure business, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, like, yeah. It, like I, I think I went into this the first time thinking – he just kind of had an idea of what he wanted to do. And so like all this like business stuff was just a front and it doesn't turn really into a front until the one woman comes in and says, this is a Haven for everybody. And she asked for the two people that she wants to get into his, onto his list and everything. And you know, that's when he comes in and he's like, it's a Haven, you know, and all that to Ben Kingsley. Um, that's when he finally turns around and says, you know what? This is actually, I can do some good. He, of course, he's also had the moment where he's on the horse and he's looking out at all the like horribleness that's going on. Yeah. And there's the one girl in red yeah. that he follows around that eventually by the end of it is like being carted off mm. dead. Um, he, he, you can see the change in him mm. as this movie goes along. That's why that movie is super excellent. I agree. And that's, I've talked about this before with Clooney in Three Kings or um, 
DiCaprio in Blood Diamond, characters that start out selfish uh-huh. and end up selfless. It's one of my favorite, most satisfying character arcs. And I, I do think the beginning of Schindler's List, it's it's purely self-motivated. I I can see what's coming, what's best for me and my monetary interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he ends up stumbling into this position and over time, I think a lot of it has to do with that relationship he forms with Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he begins to grow a conscience and then care less and less about the actual money to that breakdown at the end where mm. he's like, I could have saved one more person with this mm-hmm. and one more yeah. person with this. And that has become all he cares about. And I think if we didn't have that arc, it would just be a historical drama. Yeah. Uh, but that arc is what makes it powerful that mm. he did not begin the film on some kind of crusade to save Jewish people. Mm. He found himself there after seeing what happened. And Kingsley's mm. like, you've saved a thousand, a hundred something people or whatever. You've saved generations. And he's like, yeah, why did I need this car? Why did I need this yeah. car? I yeah. could have sold him on this car. He yeah. would have gotten it. Um, yeah. Uh, movies way better. The second time that I've watched it. Uh, and of course, when I first watched it, I was 16. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that have changed yeah. in me since I watched that movie all the way through. So anyway, yeah, let's vote. I don't think it's going to be much of a contest. Uh, Schindler's list, mm-hmm. uh, for everything that we just said. Um, I'm going to say a qualifier mm-hmm. and then I'm going to give my vote. All right. I personally, Jeremy have reached a point or I'm no longer going to vote for Schindler's List just because of its importance. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hope that th- that is not seen <laughs> as me being some kind of anti-Semitic bastard. No, nope. oh, I don't think so. But nope. my vote is for Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. There's going to be a point uh, where Schindler's List is going to go up against uh, even even harder than this. I think The Untouchables is sort of as great as that movie is i mean it snuck into the sweet 16 i think so kind of i mean it's one of those type of movies and and to go up against this it's it's tough it's really tough for it to 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 move on after this uh for just the importance part of it but if you're talking about everything being right in a movie i mean we've talked about it before if this movie if schindler's list wasn't well made in every other aspect if it was just the weight i don't think we would be talking about it well and it wouldn't mm. even carry the weight yeah if it wasn't a so there's going film. to be a point where possibly schindler's list runs up against something that we like better won't yeah. be shawshank god damn it <laughs> it won't be shawshank can you imagine that schindler's list versus shawshank Oof. oh what a what a vote that would yeah. have been uh, well. i'll make it <laughs> unanimous schindler's list uh, i agree um yeah, The Untouchables, it, it's interesting because it, it had good matchups, I think. So. Still a better music score. Untouchables still has a better... And, and Schindler's yeah, and, score is outstanding. Mm. Well, and, and, you know, the last time we talked about the score, um, you know, you, Barry, you kind of questioned whether this was one of John Williams' best. And obviously, I don't think it is mm. one of his best. It has, it has one main theme that is outstanding. A lot of the other music in this, though, is like chorus and yep. stuff like that. So you, a lot of times, I think people get short shrift on those when it's mm-hmm. chorus and stuff like that mm-hmm. but those are excellent too um it's just that it's not as you know it's not even as catchy or whatever as you know, catch you catch me if you can or something yeah, like i that. saw a video i meant to send to you guys and we can put it in the description if this stays in the uh podcast anywhere but it's this guy who takes a look at uh rogue one and michael giacchino's four weeks that he had to write the theme music uh-huh. and then goes back through all previous star wars movies and shows you with examples how much work Giacchino did to pay tribute to John Williams' score while also creating something new. I remember we talked about the score after seeing that movie, and it was kind of both 
half inventive and mm. half kind of repetitive. And I had sort of dismissed it until I saw it. It's video is like 20 minutes long. It's clearly mm. somebody who understands music theory and analysis. He talks about like the the most frequently used four notes in the history of music going mm. all the way back to Gregorian chant. Uh, and then he goes and shows you all these examples of movies using it. Um, huh. Anyway, super interesting and uh, made me think more about both John Williams and Giacchino's score for Rogue One. I'll send you guys that link. That'll be awesome. Cool. I meant to email that to you. It's badass. Yeah. <laughs> On to the next one in the South region. It's the 11 seed Jurassic Park versus the two seed Pulp Fiction. Oh. Mid nineties matchup. Park is an eleven seed because it didn't win ninety three. It didn't because Schindler's List won ninety three. Now, obviously, if we pick Jurassic Park in this one, it'll be <laughs> Schindler's List versus Jurassic Park again, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, it'll be Spielberg versus Spielberg again for like the third time. Yeah, in this bracket, there's a lot of Spielberg. <laughs> well, I wonder if he's one of our best filmmakers. <laughs> I wonder sometimes that uh, you know you know you're spielberging all over ourselves. You look at his record, you know. Sometimes there's some iffy things. Anyway, give me the non-union Mex- non-union Mex- non-union Mexican equivalent. Oh, fuck that joke up, <laughs> yeah, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> With a Steven Spielbergo. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, you know, sometimes when we're doing this, uh, these picks and everything, and you're going through your reasoning and everything. I think, I think I'm like Homer. You know, he's like, he's like, oh, Barney's Barney's film had a lot of heart and <laughs> and, and 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 beautiful art and everything, while football in the growing had a football in the growing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that easy being a film cricket. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only episode in which Matt Groening does not lend his name because he did not believe in the crossover. With the, with critic. the critic yeah interesting oh um anyway jurassic park versus pulp fiction two movies in the early 90s one in 93 one in 94 uh one is uh you know obviously huge popcorn entertainment that is mm. still stands up today mm-hmm. as one of the best examples of it and uh pulp fiction which is uh like i said uh when i walked out of that movie things have changed yeah. Although I, I think I felt the same kind of electric jolt from both of these movies. Mm. Um, that kind of, uh, with Pulp Fiction, it was a, a lot more, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Jurassic Park, we had seen Alien, which we just debated against it. Before. You know, we'd seen Monsters, Jaws. We'd seen this kind of a thing before, but it never done this well. No. Uh, never done to these. Like, we joke all the time in the Sins videos that how can today's CG look worse than fucking Jurassic Park? <laughs> yeah. For 24 years. I, I, I think Stan Winston, like, took that to his grave, man. Yeah, whatever think, the secret was. Yeah, he had that written down in, like, an old dusty book somewhere. <laughs> right next to whoever you're so vain is about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy Hoffa's body. Let's put, <laughs> let, why as well put all the cliches in there? I think Jimmy Hoffa's body was in the case and pulled fiction yeah. not vincent marcellus <laughs> you know what if we tell tarantino that he'll probably agree with <laughs> yeah it was totally <laughs> awful man good reading between that's the lines that's right that's right um, in fact, if you look at the first five letters all in a row down on the script, it spells Hoffa. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so what a time to be alive back in the early 90s. It was. It was fantastic, man. I feel like, I don't know, like I said, we, we talked about this before. Is it because of what we were, like how old we were that we felt like we were in this golden age and we refer back to it so fondly? Or is it was it really that much of a golden age? No, I, I mean, speaking specifically about these two years, uh, because you had such an outburst of creativity, when it comes to Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, just in the meat 
of Tarantino's, I mean, between Reservoir Dogs and that, it's like the rebirth of the cool, right? Like mm-hmm. he he was just everybody was cool, and it wasn't like it was all young people or it was all old people. You got fucking Harvey Keitel in here, and you got Uma Thurman. Uh, you got you know Samuel L. Jackson and and John Travolta, who was not cool at that point. No, he had this was like his second comeback. You put these people's mouth around his dialogue, and it just sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, man. everything is cool and. It's right on the edge of something just completely new, and that's why it's a cool time to be alive. We had seen a lot of Jurassic, like you said, a lot of uh, monster movies. Nothing to this scope, and that's why it was great. Yeah, yeah. This was the the Pulp Fiction. I it, the first scene is you know Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer, and 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 you know it sort of ends that scene abruptly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if any one of you fucking bricks move, <laughs> I'll execute every last one of you, you know, and all that. And it stops and it goes right into the credits and everything. And you're like and you and I and I, at first I was like, I don't know if I, I don't I don't know if I can really get into this. And the dialogue at the beginning is is cool and everything mm-hmm. is but that it was really abrupt. But then it gets into the Samuel Jackson John Travolta talk on the and I was sitting there like it was during that scene. And I was like, okay, yeah, I dig this. Your jaw drops. And you're just like, I dig. What? They're talking about going to, you know, Amsterdam and like, you know, smoking weed and going into McDonald's and <laughs> what the things are called there. And, and then like talking about the, the, the difference between, you know, like what kind of ranking of anger should Marcellus Wallace have about somebody giving his girl a foot massage? <laughs> and, and like, there's a, and that point where they're like at the door and, and they're like, what time is it? It's like 840 something, whatever. And he's like, ah, not time yet. Let's hang back. And then they go off and start talking. Like, look, just cause I wouldn't give no man no foot massage. <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker do that to me. You better, <laughs> you better kill my ass because I'm going to come kill the motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff is so fantastic and then it goes right into that next thing where it's like he samuel jackson's in character john travolta's in character yeah um which is funny because travolta's character was the hyperverbal character yeah. in the car and going all the way up into it and then samuel jackson just takes over and it's in vegas just hanging back there being cool and not saying shit yeah yeah same just, as uh, same as in the diner later mm-hmm. travolta's not saying much and samuel mm-hmm. jackson's doing all the talking yeah yeah, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, this is, this is just, yeah, uniformly excellent all the way through. And then, and, uh, and yeah, even when I went back and watched, you know, and of course it goes back to the diner scene, of Mm -hmm. course, later on, but, and then you're like, oh, okay, I see what he was doing with this. Um, but yeah, at the time I was 17 years old. I was like, what what the fuck is this movie, man? (laughs) What is this? What is going on? But yeah, I was instantly just down in it when, once the, uh, once the Samuel Jackson, John Travolta stuff came up. Uh, Jurassic Park also has Samuel L. Jackson in it. Yeah, it does. Hold on to your butts. That's right. That's right. I hate this hacker crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it's exciting, and it's 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 wonderfully done. It's just like Jaws was, only like more like it's mo- more modern and more like you know, uh, more trying to pander to the audience a little mm. bit. Um, but it's excellent. It's uh, like I said, it was the first time I ever saw audience reaction when I was working at a movie theater. It was the first time walking in and seeing the lawyer in the in the bathroom and the little the porta potty thing and thinking oh yeah okay that's a funny scene and then the th- guy the t-rex chomps down on him and nobody like the the audience going like laughing to like oh, you know like that like immediately is fantastic yep uh, also, I think one of the best scores ever, Jurassic Park. I think that's one of Williams's best. It's is one of his most recognizable themes. It really is. And now, 
he's got the historic recognizable, the big three, Superman, Indiana Jones, and Star Wars mm-hmm. from the 80s, 70s and 80s. But just all around score, there's multiple themes in Jurassic Park that work really, really well. At least three main themes that he returns back to multiple times. Um, just, I bought that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. played it in the high school band. No, I'm just kidding. That's nice. a bad thing you do, quote. <laughs> <laughs> Del Paxton in the high school band. <laughs> That's Clinton Howard saying. Yeah, that, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, what's the order? You're up. I'm up. Yep. Fuck. All right, so I'm going to say something that will probably get me attacked. Uh-huh. I recognize it's part of the whole pulp novel thing that Tarantino is trying to emulate and bring up with the movie. Um, but that whole Bruce Willis storyline doesn't do it for me. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you specifically, like the part when he's in the cab, I, I could use a good 30 second scene to find out he killed that other boxer. I don't need nine minutes of this weird <laughs> cab driver woman. Esmeralda Villa Lobos. <laughs> and it just, it just kind of drags for me there. And then the next real scene we get with him is him and this weird girlfriend mm-hmm. and they're love making whatever in the hotel that i don't really need you give me oral pleasure <laughs> yeah and then the biggest coincidence in the world he runs into marcellus wallace while he's just driving around in los angeles mm-hmm. <laughs> motherfucker and then by the time we get to the pawn shop people who have a gimp which honestly at the time i didn't even know what that was yeah and then it goes to ball gagging rape mm-hmm. and it's always been the most disconnected i am that entire movie yeah there's something, I mean, even though the other main storylines are are violent and flashy and, and crazy, they're somehow more relatable to me. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm saying. It's more relatable to me to shoot a guy in the back of the <laughs> back of the car on accident and have to clean the brains out than it is to get abducted by a pawn shop gay rapist who has his own gimp. Like, I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying makes any sense, but of the three main stories in Pulp Fiction, that, that one is the one that drags for me and yep. is hard for me to relate to. And, and I, there's nothing like that in Jurassic Park. So I'm going Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, Tarantino fans. You yeah. probably already hate me since I like Jackie Brown more than Pulp <laughs> Fiction anyway. Uh, but this is where I get off the Pulp Fiction train. You know what, though? Yeah. Fuck them. The, uh, it's like, it's one of those things, though. I, I think that when a movie has this kind of reputation and you... You know, it's almost like they've built a wall where you can't like, you know, it's unimpeachable now or whatever. It's like, look, can't I I think there's some parts in this that mm-hmm. I don't like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway. No, I agree that the, the weakest part is definitely the butch storyline, uh, especially right when it goes into the pawn shop. I would I'm, I'm on board all the way up until then, because you've got the watch scene with Christopher Walken. You've got I don't mind the Fabian scene when he's in the, the hotel and everything. Uh, and then when he goes back and he kills Vincent Vega, it, he's got me up until that part that just goes like a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Having said that, everything else in that movie buttresses it up so sky high to me that that is is a minor nitpick for me. And it's Pulp Fiction all the way. I do have to give Pulp Fiction credit for uh, one of the two smartest waitresses in film ever. When Tim Roth does the Garcon and she comes up and very subtly says, Garcon means boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also in Swingers, there's something like that when John Favreau's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Where is, <laughs> you can have breakfast anytime. And he's like, I'll take the pancakes in the Age of Enlightenment. And he doesn't think she gets the joke, but later when she comes back, she casually calls him, calls him Voltaire. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Oh, uh, we're, we're, we're in kind of a hurry here. And he's like, Hang on, Voltaire. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you vote Pulp Fiction. Yes. All right. 
Um, yeah, I'm gonna go Pulp Fiction here. Um, they, they, I comparing these two movies. There, there's definitely. I don't know if there's even a definite excitement edge Jurassic Park has over Pulp Fiction. Um, and that Bruce Willis uh, section, I am all over that. I know that I can see that I can see you not liking. You know it, why? It's because she talks like a nine-year-old girl. Well, she's French. What? But her the pitch of her voice is childified. Yeah. Like Whose motorcycle is this? Like butch? baby talk. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. In a relationship, drives me up the fucking. Yeah. Well, is this? and and you know there are other. I, I mean, I could pick some other things that bother me about that scene because, of course, Bruce Willis specifically reminded her <laughs> <laughs> to get the watch of the kangaroo, and she even knows it when she when she recites it back to him, and he's like, "Oh, I totally forgot it." Yeah. You know. Um. And 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 you get the sense that he's really abusive towards her too. And there's kind of an undercurrent there, isn't there? Well, there's the the calling her a retard. Yeah. And mm. then there's the um the throwing stuff around the apartment and everything, and and it looks like she's they're making it where she's kind of into it. Well, and even the implication that she gives him sexual favors, but he doesn't give them to her very often. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so so there's so there's some stuff there, but like that. That whole... You don't think? I think there's a reciprocal thing. I think it's being requested to be reciprocated here in the sense that it's not usually reciprocated. He just got done with the goddamn prize fight and she's asking him to go down on her. If you're in that... You've had a rough night at the office. You know, if there was any time to... I'm worried for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that if he can do it then, like he's probably doing that on the regular. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought you were going to say at least she could put out. He just had a big fight. No, that's not what but, you're saying. No, what I'm saying is that if he, if he, you know, at that moment, like right, he's down. Now maybe with it. I'm wrong. Okay, yeah. fine. But yeah, I mean that scene, like that whole thing with you know uh, Zed. I, I I dig that because of that lurid nature of mm. it and everything. It's something that it is it is off-putting in a way but it's also something like you never see this yeah it's a situation that you would never think is going to be weird you run into a store (laughs) a redneck store (laughs) and then suddenly it becomes this basement thing and like there's a gimp involved and like it's one of those things like that's so lurid it's exactly what they divine pulp as at the beginning yep i I get why it's in there and you prefaced it when you said that that about the bruce willis thing i mean but it was something that i sort of like just you know i'll just dirty myself up with this i like this I like so this. what you're saying chris is that you're a very dirty boy i am he's got am. a gimp in the closet behind him hey yo yeah. with a battery now that it rolled under the door well really the gimp is in my heart barrett um he named his closet heart that's right that's right um that leaves this elite eight a matchup of schindler's list versus pulp fiction <laughs> one uh, two i i i'm glad that we picked pulp fiction if only because we've already done schindler's list versus yeah, yeah. jurassic park essentially uh on to the west region where we have the number one seed back to the future versus the four seed empire strikes back mm. they both have back in the title they yeah. do this is gonna be hard just because of that yeah i know just because of, like who who did the back better only one has Huey Lewis in it, though. Mm. Oh, well, that that sure? we know of. Yeah. That we know of. Yeah. 20 years from now. Could have been a stormtrooper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Daniel Craig in The Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll take your word for it. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the 80s-est battle there is. Sure is. This is Let's a box it. office bonanza. I think Back to the Future might have made more money than this movie. Though. Oh. Because uh, Empire Strikes Back 
took a little bit of a nosedive from what Star Wars did. Well, Return of the Jedi made more than Empire for sure. Yeah, and Return of the Jedi made more. Yeah, it was it was because of the darkness, man. Nobody yeah. likes the darkness. Everybody likes the light. Darkness. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah, okay. So Back to the Future, I've always said is my favorite movie, and then mm-hmm. I've probably seen these movies similar amount of times though. I mean, I've seen Back to the Future more for sure, but on Empire Strikes Back, I've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do we how do we judge this? These are two movies that are so woven into american fabric and uh this is the first i think this is the first time we've had a matchup like this right what do you mean like classic movies like movies that have made this much money going up against each other i mean maybe we've had some others that i've just i've just skirted i think this is probably up there but this is the first time i've seen sideways versus shawshank oh yeah yeah (laughs) those movies made the same amount of money i would uh, i would say sideways probably made more money than shawshank (laughs) Um, they did um which movie did its spectacle better is basically what we're going to yeah i mean with back to the future back to the future was such an unknown property and so groundbreaking in story in thrusting michael j fox into the the like stratosphere Mm -hmm. even though people knew who he was and empire is a great follow-up but it's a known property Mm -hmm. so i mean when you compare them like that it is divergent to where not the shitty movie but the where you know one is is almost perfecting a known property and one is just coming out of nowhere to, mm, to set hearts on fire both of these are somewhat minor miracles um because after the first star wars george lucas apparently just said i will release i will relinquish my reins to someone else on this and i, I think after we talked about empire the last time made it an inference that the studio may have done something but he made this movie all on his own uh and just let fox distribute it basically so mm-hmm. he could have directed it if he wanted to but i think he sort of like was wise enough to say i want to get some other people on this and course maybe he wasn't wise enough the movie made less money <laughs> it yeah, made a lot of money yeah, yes. made a lot of money but you know maybe maybe but see i i think this movie was going to be something completely different if it, if he had done it on his own oh absolutely and uh we wouldn't have had such an iconic uh entry into the series mm. yeah. uh back to the future obviously is a minor miracle because they had eric stoltz uh yeah. playing the main character and this I feel like this would have been like any other stupid ass eighties comedy. When you see when after we talked about it the last time and Jeremy mentioned or you guys both mentioned that you can go and see the footage of, of him doing it and you read about like his intense behavior on set to where like he was shoving Biff over and over for all those takes where he's like, you know, get your meat hooks off and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. To where dudes like sternum was bruised and yeah. he was like I'm going to fucking kick that guy's ass if we do another yeah. do wow. it, take of this. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get Michael J. Fox, I'm sure everybody uh, on the set just fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. And from all accounts, they did. And uh, you did, too, as, as a viewer. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I am i don't know. Do we want to just go ahead and vote on Let's this? do it, baby. I'll start. Okay. Empire Strikes Back. Okay. There's a lot to unpack. Don't shake your head at me. You don't know what I'm shaking my head. I'm at. telling you, man. You got you got the introduction of Yoda. I'm shaking my head you at your got, shirt. Uh, you get. <laughs> I forgot what I was wearing. Um, you get the introduction of Yoda. You've got Darth Vader's most Darth Vadery moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Mark Hamill's best acting um, in this series up until who knows what's going to happen with the list. I think Jedi. so. Um, Boy, that trailer was awesome. 
Did you see it? That trailer is awesome. The Last Jedi. Yeah. That wide shot of her with a lightsaber on the hill. Oh, yeah. Where it's just tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I really hope awesome. you hit this yeah, out of the park. Ryan Johnson. I know it, baby. Guy who hates us Guy. that we love. Yep. Yeah. And it's another, you know, middle trilogy movie, much like Empire. Well, so it, it might, could be, be, might be able to go dark, right? Yeah. Force Awakens couldn't go too dark. No. And the next one can't. Uh, yeah. So this is the chance, and yeah. it looks moody and ethereal. <laughs> Very excited. Sorry, we're not, we're not even talking about that movie. So, yeah, that's my pick. I, I think there's just too much that I love about it, um, even though I love it. This is the, the battle of attrition, basically. So that's yeah. my pick. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go back to the future. None of that is none of that over the time has changed. I, I mean, both of these movies are are great. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why why we're in this at this point. We've <laughs> got nothing but excellent to choose from. Um, but uh, I think Back to the Future does its story a little bit better in the end. I think it's a little bit more fun, and I think it's just. You know, everything about it is so clever. Empire Strikes Back, I don't have much problem with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's great. I, I don't know. I, I can't really think of anything negative. I know that we send it and there were things that I was surprised about mm-hmm. that were a little off. But uh, overall, you know, it's great. But Back to the Future is going to win this win this matchup. I mean, that's something that I, you know, probably had in my head for 30 years at this yeah. point. So um so yeah i'm gonna pick that mm-hmm. yeah it's back to the future back um, to the future and i love empire but i feel about empire the same way i do about the beatles i think the beatles were probably one of the greatest if not the greatest rock and roll band ever but they're still overrated and i think empire is the best star wars movie ever made but i think it's still a little overrated because it's part of the star wars family you think it's overrated do you think i think a little bit yeah wow but you know well Maybe I should just not say that and take a I bunch will, of hate on that. I will say that one of the things that was, I, I never really noticed this about Empire until we did the Sins video for it. Uh, there were a lot of things that they expected viewers to understand with the three years that had passed. Yeah. With books and stuff that they had published. Yeah. So that's why there's like moments where they're talking about like some other bounty hunter guy or like mm. there's some other adventure they had, whatever. It starts that that awful thing that star Wars does where they sit there and talk about the great things that they did. Even in empire, there's that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause there's a point like when they're on Hoth, Han Solo and Leia have that little conversation. You don't really notice it. I never noticed it when I watched it multiple times. This is some innocuous dialogue to me, but they're talking about something that happened in the last three years. And we don't, we don't really like, I don't think we really understand why we're there on that planet at right. the beginning um it, it explains that you know they that darth vader's looking for them and mm. everything like the rebels like after the after they beat the death star they they dispersed and then they somehow they end up on this on this yeah, planet the most inhospitable well, yeah let's planet. go to this one right here that's like impossible to live <laughs> on they could have picked any planet in the universe probably <laughs> and it would have been the same type of deal um but yeah, and stuff like that is just a tad bit off-putting to me mm. when you have to, you know, read their other part of the universe to understand. Eh, no, that's just a little part of the movie. Mm. It's not like you have to really know that story to enjoy Empire Strikes right. Back. But it's still, it's annoying that they sit there and refer to something like, oh, I bet you read those books, huh? Those are really good. <laughs> I do think Empire gives us the best pure Han Solo moment, and mm-hmm. it's not the I love you, I know, even though that's great. It's when they walk into that 
dining hall and he sees Vader and he just whips out his pistol and starts shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. smart man would not do that. <laughs> you would know, A, I can't win this way, and B, my, my better solution here is negotiating and yeah. see what's going on. But Han's not about being smart. Han's about being impulsive mm-hmm. and protecting the people he loves who are right there with him. And he just pulls that gun out without a blink. It's, I think it's a very brave moment. Yeah. Uh, this takes us to our last uh, wow. matchup of the Sweet 16. Wow. It is the six seed Ex Machina versus the two seed The matrix here we go oh wow two movies that are are similar in theme they are they they play and dance around the same deep thoughts they give me the same kind of conversations what's up i just watched uh ex machina recently does she achieve singularity oh jesus gonna make me oh so does the ai does he does she actually pass the turing test is that what achieving singularity means achieving singularity is where ai can essentially function on its own and then exponentially self-upgrade. That's what I thought. See, I thought the singularity is when technology had achieved the ability to ramp itself up faster than we could. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I don't know about that well, because I don't know if she can go out and build another robot. Also, the question becomes for me, since she was programmed basically to try to escape. Yeah. Is she even AI? Well, the I mean, there's that. There's that too. That that definitely is a valid point. I wasn't thinking that that way. I was thinking more along the lines of once she's out, does she have purpose? Mm. Does she have um, something that drives her in the outside world? The movie ends before we find that out. Mm. Well, we, we get that inclination that she might have gone to Times Square, right? Yeah, she's, she went she, to a busy intersection. She, yeah, yeah. She's walking down a sidewalk yeah. and sees all these people, but mm. that's how the movie ends. So. You don't know exactly like now if she goes and like I need to get a job and I need to get an apartment and I need to do all that. <laughs> she's just, like waiting tables. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> she's trying she's trying to get into like Brigadoon off Broadway or something like that. Yeah. Brigadoon. <laughs> That might that might actually be the self actualization that you're yeah. looking for. She's got the lead in cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so so that's the thing I think that it wisely ends on because that does make you think about what is her purpose after she's escaped. Well, I mean, she has all of the capabilities because the escape is, is a means to an end, I think. It's the fact that if you can achieve this, if you can deceive and and get a, a, a leg up on both of these characters, then you should be able to not only function as a human, but since you are this entity that should have achieved singularity, then you would be able to exponentially kind of upgrade yourself to where you're going to go lightning past everything else. And and I think that's that's kind of what it's implying, because if she has achieved that first step, then the rest of them should just be, you know, nature, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Uh, because she's got that brain that is the entirety of essentially Google or Blue Book or whatever it is. Um, and she's able to, to do these things. Oh, one thing about this this movie as I was reading up on it, a really creepy ending that they they cut uh, was when she goes out and she's talking to the helicopter pilot because she goes out and talks to him and then the next shot we see he's lifting off. She, we don't know what she said to him. Uh, but there was a there was a scene there where it cuts to her perspective and the pilot's talking to her and all it is is like a bunch of like pulses and sounds. Mm-hmm. She's not actually understanding the language. She's just understanding 
the the nonverbal communication. Oh. So she's at a whole different level, oh. but she's been able to manipulate these guys all the way to that using that. Mm-hmm. And that's like the really crazy part that uh, I, I, I love that idea. Yeah, no, that's deep. As far as passing the Turing test, yes, that's mm. easy. That's they he she does. Mm. I don't think there's anybody that's going to go down the sidewalk there and go, Oh, robot. <laughs> there's not anybody who could talk to her and go, Oh, totally a robot, you know. Mm. That could be context too. Why would a robot be out here, you mm. know, that type of thing. But but yeah, as far as passing the test, I think that's that's. But what she do now? That's the next thing. Mm. Um, now, The Matrix also, uh, you know, a big movie about existence mm-hmm. and you know your reality, you're not what you think it is. Just a second ago, during the Ex Machina talk, I was getting Oracle vibes in The Matrix about how well, if she's programmed to do this, it's does. Is there any real free will going on here yeah. in this system? Because, uh, you know, if the movie's to be believed, machines don't comprehend free will. They don't understand choice. I know I'm dabbling in the third and fourth or second and third. There are not four. Uh, <laughs> the second and third movie a little bit here, too. But, um, you know, the, can he even trust her? And he has to he has to weigh that and decide that he does. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, it's my it's my happy, happy place. Mm-hmm. I fucking love this movie. There's no way in hell I'm voting for Ex Machina over the Matrix. I hope I didn't just sway one of you one way or the other. Um, It's just, it's too soon. Mm -hmm. Too soon for Ex Machina to have been seen enough by me, to have been discussed and debated as we just did for a minute. Uh, Whereas the Matrix has had, you know, 18 years to be out there and be dissected and have probably dissertations written and master's theses and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. It's just, if if you like to think... With a little bit of your badass-looking action sci-fi, this is probably the perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Matrix is just like how Pulp Fiction was, right? Yeah. After after the movie was done, I was like, things have changed again. This mm-hmm. is a trend-setting, you know, this is a a moment in film history when this movie came out, and amazing to me too, like how you know, I guess Warner Brothers didn't even look like they really, really believed in this movie with its release date. I mean, I guess late march you're you're getting into that area where you got spring break and stuff like that but um i remember that coming out it was like it seemed like a summer movie but it's coming out in the spring back in 1999 that was uh you know it's like i don't know you don't maybe they were just trying to avoid phantom menace well i'm sure they were trying to avoid phantom menace on some level because if i recall uh phantom menace there were so many people afraid of that they didn't want to come out with a movie on the second week right and so there was a lot of like log jam after that, but um, I'm sure part of that is that, but you know, why not come out with it in the first week of May, which had, by that point movies were coming out. And of course they would have had to go up against the mummy and shit like that. I believe the mummy came out that first, first or second week, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, it, whenever I saw that back in the day, a late March, early April release, I was like, mm know and then you watch it and you're just like oh this is a this is so great maybe that maybe they weren't quite sure what they had yeah and then when it came out they're like, oh, okay well, we know what we got yeah yeah. Exactly. yeah um but uh yeah anyway what's our voting you're first i'm first i'm going the matrix on this one okay uh i love ex machina and i think it has a lot of um you know uh it has a 
lot of deep themes in it that I like about, you know, it has everything I like about movies. And Matrix is just an exciting action picture in addition to putting all these philosophical questions that the same things that Ex Machina raises. Mm-hmm. So I got to go Matrix here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think Matrix has more action. They dabble in the same themes. Give me 15 years and let's have this conversation again when I've seen Ex Machina five, ten more times. And mm-hmm. It's had a chance to seep into my soul. But as of right now, yeah, as I said before, Chris even voted. I'm voting The Matrix. Yeah. And I love it. It's my baby. And if it <laughs> loses, I'm going to weep. I'm hoping it goes all the way, even though I know that's impossible. I think Ex Machina is the smarter movie. Hmm. Um, but I think you're right. The, the Matrix is that much more watchable. Uh, Ex Machina is almost Kubrickian uh, with its pacing. Yeah. Um, and, and the characters are so subtle and deliberate and that kind of thing that, um, you know, it's it's more in, in lines of like The Shining or um, 2001 to a certain degree than The Matrix, which is, is just more movie. of a fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally a head movie. This head movie makes my eyes rain. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for a chance to work a Simple Jack in this podcast. That's the second time, time Simple Jack is oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's The Matrix all the way. All right. So you remember at the beginning of this, uh, these the bracket and everything and you said that there was somebody who said that i have a feeling of where this is going based on the seating <laughs> one versus two every single one of them really one versus two <laughs> well i'll blame you guys for every that. single one of yeah them. uh well they're they're one in two seats for a reason they are they are what do we got let's let's hear so them all one we're gonna time. have and in that in that one we're gonna have back to the future versus the matrix now that's my favorite <laughs> that's that's my favorite movie versus your favorite movie now, here's a question, though. I still haven't made my decision on that one. Ah. I don't think I have either. And those are two movies that, you know, you know, those are popcorn films. You know, mm-hmm. what, you know, what are we going to do? That'll be that'll be next week. But yeah. uh, but even though I've constantly said Back to the Future is my favorite movie, it's going up against The Matrix. And I have to very much consider. Well, and Back to the Future is probably in my top three. I yeah. mean, it's not like, and you love The Matrix, so it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, we're talking about my worst favorite yeah. versus your. We're like, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I'm going to break some tissues. So <laughs> our, uh, so to reiterate here, our matchups in the Elite Eight are Jaws versus Die Hard, <laughs> Children of Men versus City of God. Damn mm. it. It's not really fair to those movies. Schindler's List versus Pulp Fiction, mm. and Back to the Future versus The Matrix. Mm. And where does I didn't hear Shawshank in there? Which one is Shawshank? Uh, Shawshank is <laughs> still a twelve seed. That. You said a one and a two CS twelve. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I thought maybe I could just fool you guys into thinking Shawshank well, was still in the. Well, now here's the big part of the the surprise that none of you guys knew. We're going to introduce eight more movies. <laughs> We're going to do Last Chance Kitchen. For that's our right. <laughs> the Incredibles has played itself back in. These movies were on a deserted <laughs> island somewhere. And now they've been brought back to the <laughs> to the loft where, you know, the real world is going on. <laughs> do we have time for questions? Yes, we do. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Okay. So was there any song in a movie that introduced you to an artist that you now love? For this person, it's King Crimson, who's now one of his favorite bands in the film uh, Children of Men. That's a good one. That is a very good one. Yeah. I had uh, was 
very familiar with King Crimson by the time that <laughs> that movie came out, but that it's done so well in that it and they you don't hear King Crimson very often in movies. That's mm-hmm. the first time I think I could say that I've ever heard King Crimson in a movie before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I knew of anyway, but um, I don't have a particular song that then got me into that band and I bought all their albums based on what one song I heard in a movie. Mm-hmm. But I have a few where I at least bought the songs or I, I recognized this band. The, so like the, the biggest one probably is Rushmore, which has uh, a lot of the British invasion mm-hmm. uh, stuff that's going on in there. And of course, I was familiar with the Who, mm-hmm. but I I don't think I liked them all that. I mean, I wasn't like, oh, got to hear some Who, you know. Yeah. It was, and and it wasn't until like later when American Beauty has uh, the oh, Seeker yeah. and all that in mm-hmm. it that I really it really drove it home. But um, but yeah, uh, Rushmore has a quick one while he's away, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's a really it's really great the way they do it and everything, and um, and that sort of got me into like. I'll start looking into some Who albums yeah, and everything. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, Quadrophenia is a great album. Yep. I, I mean, I can listen to that right now. I, I can listen <laughs> to it right now. That album is awesome. Um, there are a couple of other smaller ones like Donovan and Goodfellas. Yeah, there's the Atlanta song during the beatdown scene. Yeah. Uh, so Donovan was something that I was like. I remember at watching Goodfellas and and going into the credits, and I was like who did that song like I, I know that they're saying something about the ocean or whatever i don't know what <laughs> is, what is it and like there, i couldn't find anything it's just called atlantis and the part that makes it atlantis you know where donovan is talking yeah. at the beginning of it you know like isn't is is barely in the movie soundtrack mm. so you, so i didn't i couldn't find it forever and finally i was like oh okay and like once google became a real thing you mm. know like talk about it. I get, oh donovan did that song. <laughs> um and then there's one other that i'll i'll mention um a massive attack in mm-hmm. in go oh yeah when uh sarah polly pulls her shirt up and like and all to me timothy oliphant's looking for like microphones yeah, yeah. the song angel plays mm-hmm. and uh that's a great song and then of course house you know had teardrop so it was like sort of a one-two combo on getting into massive attack mm-hmm. through those things nice nice good stuff um, I'm going to go with Amy Mann. Um, oh, yes. Of Good one. Oh, great one. Now, ironically, I was already into Michael Pitt, who uh-huh. is her husband. Michael Penn. Michael Penn. Mm-hmm. Michael Pitt is an actor. Yeah. Michael <laughs> Penn, but he's also related to Sean Penn. Yes, um, he is. Uh, I was already Brother. into Michael Penn, who is uh-huh. her husband, before this. His biggest, biggest hit, I guess, was No Myth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. Uh, Romeo in black jeans is the hook of the chorus. What if I was Romeo in black jeans? What if I was Heathcliff? Yeah, no yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was already into him. And Magnolia is almost entirely Amy Mann in mm-hmm. terms of the soundtrack. Uh, and the big song there is Wise Up. Yeah. Uh, where everybody's singing along. Such a great One of the moment. most powerful scenes in the movie. Yep. Um, and so I started doing more research into her. I actually like everything i've ever heard of her but mm-hmm. i like the stuff she put out right before magnolia the best like uh that's just what you are and cigarettes and red wine and mm-hmm. so i went back and bought entire albums because of how great her music was in that movie and if i had just explored michael penn's wife a little bit <laughs> right? yeah yeah why did you explore his wife well yeah. i didn't mean it that way <laughs> but that would be an awesome acoustic show to see husband and wife and they uh-huh. like play each other's songs together and I imagine they have to do that sometimes right mm-hmm Anyway, yeah, they, go check out Amy Mann. She was on a, a podcast with Mark Marin recently. Oh, yeah. And um, 
and uh that was an interesting podcast but uh you know he had her sing one of her new songs and everything she just hammered it yeah you know? and like and mark maron's like how do they do that <laughs> you know, these, these musicians come in here and they like they just knock it out of a park like that like how does that happen and she it was great it was have a great you heard song. of this band kaleo playing on lightning 100 a lot Calexico or no it's Kale- way down we go hmm. and way down oh we yeah go. yeah yeah oh, that song anyway yeah. there's a they that act i think it's a guy but might be a band they went into the xm studios and did a set live and a lot of the channels like to play those exclusive mm-hmm. live so there's this acoustic version of that song mm-hmm. i get chills hmm. hearing that guy sing uh, same with the rag and bone man who's got a couple songs that people are loving an acoustic version for those and he's got a ch- chilling voice nice anyway one guy that uh, i definitely got into after listening to it was from the 2004 movie uh closer yeah uh this movie I, i've talked about a long time ago uh, Clive Owen, Julia Roberts, Jude Law, and uh, Natalie Portman. Awesome movie. Yeah. Uh, very character driven. But at the end of it, it's got a, a guy named Damien Rice, an Irish uh, folk singer uh, with a song called The Blower's Daughter. And uh, it's got this great hook. And one of his songs was used in Lost uh, in a great episode when John Locke is sitting on the uh, on the, the beach and everything. But as soon as I heard, you know, I can't take my eyes off of you. And actually it was on the OC as oh, well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, once I heard like that whole thing, oh my God, I just got chills and I wanted to get everything this guy did. He had an album called, Oh, uh, that was just absolutely gorgeous. And one of them w- had that, uh, that song that was on lost and everything. And so he's, he's a great, uh, singer songwriter that you guys should check out. The other one is an obvious choice. And I feel like John Cusack is making me do this, but it's the beta band. Oh, yeah. um, from High Fidelity, where mm-hmm. he goes, uh, I will now outstanding. Dry the Rain. Yeah, and that EP is terrific. It's the three EPs by the Beta Band. And uh, that whole thing is is just really, really great. Now, they didn't follow that up. I think they only did one album after that. It's huh. a Scottish group. Uh, but uh, that scene, that mood, that whole thing that he drives in where he's like, you know, this is great. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to punch him in the face, but he's right, you know? So anyway. But uh, that, that those are you should check out all of those things. Uh, two more quick ones. If you were to create a robot, a la Ex Machina, speaking of which, uh, who would you model your Android after, and what would its primary function be? And no sex droids, please. Yeah, you got to throw that caveat. <laughs> which in there is funny us. because Oscar Isaac and Ex Machina is like, oh, you bet you can fuck. <laughs> you better, you better, you better. Yeah, hey, the they're hoop. like I made a hole. <laughs> <laughs> She's got sensors, yeah. which means she can fuck you and she can get pleasure from. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so i you know i think david from prometheus is like the perfect robot mm. uh this guy even though i don't like the movie that much i don't think any of us really do like he's uh he's loyal like he's into pop culture stuff he's uh he's interesting like he's he's a good conversationalist and he's capable mm-hmm. and man that's what you want in a robot you know, you want somebody that's that's going to have your back and everything, even when he's down to just a head. Like, he's going to help you out and, you know, get you to the next movie, the Covenant movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I want me a David and yeah. no sex with David. No, no sex with David. You know, I don't know if I answered this question exactly the way they had it worded here because they, they model your Android after mm-hmm. part isn't exactly. I think possibly i'm describing c-3po but 
less an- <laughs> less annoying than yeah, C-3PO. Right. Like he would not be that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I would I would reprogram that shit immediately. Um, but so I would want somebody who's like him, who's very helpful, has, knows a lot of languages. Uh, somebody who I don't want. You know this this gets into those you know those crazy like uh, discussions. If you had an android who um didn't didn't need sleep didn't need money didn't need all that stuff does it become is it your slave you know that type of thing i don't exactly want that i want somebody who's collaborative i can like bounce ideas off of him and his computer brain Mm -hmm. will be able to say that's not possible or that's 15 percent possible or Mm -hmm. whatever and then i'll just decide whether or not i like the odds or not never Um, tell me the odds never tell me the odds (laughs) so so i would say c3po obviously more humanoid since this is an android and Mm -hmm. everything uh and not fucking annoying yeah i think c3po is useful yeah if he's not annoying so there you go no that's a good call i'm actually gonna read what i wrote in its entirety so i wrote no sex robots question question <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> i guess its primary function then for me would be as a wingman so yeah i make, make him look like john ham or just josh brolin then I'd go to the clubs and women would flock to us. Then I'd eventually tell the women that he's a robot and he doesn't even have an Android dick. And then the women, women would come home because they're so worked up and do a group thing with me. <laughs> and the robot can just stand in the corner and watch. Yeah. And then in parenthesis, I wrote, you see what happens when you try and tell me not to go with a sex robot. You find a loophole. I find a, basically a loophole to do a sex robot. But you know what? If they, were, if they were true wingmen, though, you wouldn't have to tell them to tell the women that they're robots. They would be able to just deflect all that beautiful yeah. attention yeah but if they're that handsome the women are going to need more than just him turning them down there would be a couple of women who would go home with those robots <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying i gotta give them a reason to come home with me instead they would so. definitely be like, eh, eh, okay yeah okay i can, he I can have do a dick. he's got a hand right i can what? deal with it huh? did i just say that? what huh He's got a mouth. We huh? could go home and do a group thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's multiple. He's got women. a mouth. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. That's right. That's correct. <sighs> you know that you've really achieved that Turing test when you can go down on some. <laughs> it feels just like the real thing. The sexual Turing test. I like it. I like it a lot. Oh my God, Moses! Have you answered this one yet, Barry? Yes. The Android. Bot yeah, yeah. While you were while you were searching through, while I was ignoring you, looking up shit on my phone. Exactly. All yeah. right. Excellent. Uh, since you looked that up, you want to do one more? Sure. What the fuck? An insatiable desire for world domination has overcome you. What band of four villains from any movie will you assemble to assist you in your conquest? Damn. Mm-hmm. So my supervillains, Magneto. All right. He nice. can be easily manipulated, obviously. Like, seems like everybody can fucking get Magneto to do what, what they want him to do. It can Which be is Charles ironic, Xavier. considering his power is manipulating them. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Fucking Apocalypse is, like, you know, making him do all this, this bullshit. Like, Trask is making him that angry. That ugly and all bitch that stuff. Mm-hmm. in blue somehow got him to sleep with her, even though she's not hot at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Maybe mm-hmm. so. Uh, so that's Magneto, uh, but he's physically all powerful. Yep. Uh, I'm going to put Voldemort in there. Oh, interesting. Uh, he's got the charisma, and he can organize the dark minions. But he is mm-hmm. ultimately a failure. I'm not going ultimately. Uh, okay. like, like, most villains are ultimately a failure. But I'm saying, like, in his prime, 
Voldemort's pretty fucking like all powerful, and he's got like an army. I concur. He's got the Death Eaters, and then he got him and Magneto together. Now that's that's pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I have Hannibal Lecter for the mm. intellect. Mm. All right, mm. so he's not physically imposing, but he can. He talked Migs into swallowing his tongue to kill himself. He did. And if if a guy can do that, then he could outsmart quite a bit of mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, of the superheroes or whoever's going to try to stop me. And to organize this whole shebang, to help me organize, is the master manipulator, Kaiser Soze. Mm. Oh. So you got Kaiser Soze, you've got Hannibal Lecter, you've got Magneto, and you've got Voldemort. That's a pretty fucking badass murder. What are they, some kind of suicide row. squad? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Mm. All right, so mine, uh, I, went, I, I like choosing Syndrome from The Incredibles yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for these things. And he's also got some badass inventions and weapons. He does. Um, I, I picked the Joker from Dark Knight for his pure chaos. <laughs> right? If you put the inventions of Syndrome in the hands of a man like the Joker, chaos goes up 10 times. Mm-hmm. Easy. And he's also organized for an agent of chaos. That's true. But I think he leaves most of that to his underlings. Mm-hmm. Who wants to join our team? <laughs> uh, evil genie Jafar from Aladdin. Oh, and I wrote because he's a fucking genie. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and then Lord Business uh, for his totalitarian ambition. Oh, because I think our group needs ambition if we're going to achieve anything. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we'll just get lazy on our spoils. Mm-hmm. But that's so fine. you got you got syndrome. You got Lord Business, Joker, Joker, and I already forgot. I closed my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh it was um shit who was it well you guys don't remember <laughs> what's the third one i call i backed out of it i have to go search my phone all over again to find it See the now, joker god damn business. it i'm looking this up because god damn it <laughs> it's funnier to not know <laughs> it, it is but at the same time, it's oh, like... Oh, it's Evil Jafar. Evil Jafar. Evil Jafar. Evil Jafar. <laughs> Evil Jafar. You got a pretty good team there. I'm pretty happy with them. I don't know if we could take your team, but... Yeah, we should pit our teams against each other and yes. see who can have an evil off. Yes. And if that were possible, we would do it. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. So my villains are... I'm going to have Mystique. Ooh. Because oh. being able to change into other people is an extremely useful skill, I would say. Mm-hmm. I concur. Um, just and, and I, I'm I'm looking more more intelligence here because I think I think the problem that supervillains have is that they're exploitable. Mm-hmm. I think that I think a lot of times their powers are just exploitable. It just all comes down to what uh, what guy in the X Men kind of fun that can uh, to exploit Magneto or like how can I combine them all to exploit Magneto and everything. We got to do something a little bit more fucked up, mm-hmm. I think. So so you start with Mystique, who can go in and like just change into other people. She can like I think she she that was underused even that she could change into other people. She could have been more than just the Bruce Davison senator in the first mm-hmm. one. She could have done a whole bunch of other senators and ruined their careers yeah. and fucked up the entire American government if she wanted to. But nope, let's just do the one guy. Yeah. Um, then I'm going to have Zemo from Civil War. Now, oh. if because, because whatever bullshit that guy did in the year <laughs> that it took from his family getting killed and everything to... to finding a way to get tony and captain america to fight uh it is impressive it's impressive it's impossible but it's impressive (laughs) it's in fucking impressive it's a guy you want on your team you want that guy because he's going to be able to just like go anywhere he wants to and manipulate he knows the dynamic 
of Captain America and Iron Man just by like because his family died. He he's knows, got multiple camera angles of a traffic does, accident. He does, man. He knows that that's going to be his trigger, man. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to have Zemo from Civil War. I'm going to have Bane from Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Uh, I do. I, I do need some muscle, but he is smarter than, of course, than the Bane that was in fucking Batman and Robin. <laughs> well, <laughs> and the Bane in the comics is actually as smart or smarter than Bruce Wayne. Like, oh, really? He wins on intellect before he wins on brawn. Yeah, I actually love that comic run. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. gonna have that guy. He's gonna he's gonna be like my main badass, and he's gonna be able to to you know get in the program with mystique and zemo and then i'm gonna have cosmo from sneakers nice <laughs> yes. uh be tearing the system down with from within because yeah. he's got the power to do that you know it's like <laughs> i may i may shut down the whole damn system <laughs> um so we're gonna have we're gonna be smart about this we're gonna we're gonna ruin the other superheroes through our our you know fucking up the uh the infrastructure of government and just making an entirely different world out of it mm-hmm. now the original question said what heroes would you have mm-hmm. to battle these people and and believe me i am rooting for the villains in this <laughs> <laughs> now i did pick up some really good heroes though we're gonna uh-huh. need people who know their shit yep so to make this a really good movie i'm gonna have maya from zero dark 30 oh interesting yeah there's somebody who's obsessed and who can like find the littlest of details that might be able to swing the tide even though i don't want the tide to be swung uh then i'm gonna have fucking batman of course because he's the world's greatest detective this is a batman movie essentially with batman and bane Uh and the same thing then i'm gonna have rich purnell from the martian oh wow <laughs> problem solver um wow. you know coffee spitter coffee spitter he's uh he's thinking outside the box man slingshot around i saw star trek too um <laughs> and then i'm gonna have jason Bourne because we have a combination oh. of cia and assassin wow. wow that is a movie i want to fucking watch i could get behind that man. batman mm-hmm. and jason Bourne on the same team that's yeah. right and you were rooting against them yeah yeah that's fucked up it got a little uh, shtickle of uh, mystique thrown in there too well, yeah i'm sure marvel will be happy to be mixing properties but uh yeah i like your <laughs> yeah, mystique and zemo from marvel that's so, true ooh, that's so, true so marvel and dc nice battling <laughs> fisting each fisting other. each other <laughs> it was like there's some show that's that's on I, there's i don't know what it's on it's like hulu amazon or whatever and i've seen little ads for it where a girl comes in and goes Kristen bell just fisted me <laughs> and, uh, and 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 like they're, they're like what and she goes she goes i told told Kristen bell my idea and she did this to me like like shaking her fist or whatever and he goes he goes i think there's another name for that so what else would you call it <laughs> don't know what the show is called anyway that's gonna do it for this and cast please keep going to soundcloud and giving us your thoughts we're almost at the end of the tournament uh it's been a long fun trip we got other ideas don't worry but uh Send us your bracket picks. We got a, a couple of them. In fact, in the, the last episode on SoundCloud, people were talking about how accurate they lined up and how one person was just completely fucked, but they were still enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, let us know, man. Keep them coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll do it for the Syncast this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherrill. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.
saw this movie the other day called Rapture Palooza. And it's not worth watching. I'm, I'm only bringing it up because this one part, every time I remember it, makes me giggle uncontrollably. But it's got a lot of big people in it. Anna Kendrick's in it. Craig Robinson plays uh, the Antichrist. And it's a comedy set after the rapture. And it opens with this narration of Anna Kendrick saying, you know, some of the things the Bible predicted after the rapture, they got correct. And it's like raining blood and whatnot. Some of the things they didn't get correct or didn't even predict at all. And the thing that makes me laugh is the the locusts. (laughs) Just an annoyance. They're like three times the size of normal locusts. And they have like Yoko Hoser's cartoon faces on them. And all they do is chase the humans around yelling, suffer, suffer, suffer. And it pops up two or three times where there's a scene going on you can't even see a goddamn locust and from the bottom left of the screen you hear (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny and like the movie itself was kind of a letdown ken jiang shows up at the end as god to fight craig robinson i I guarantee you when you look it up you're going to see like 12 names you recognize in this movie because i remember thinking why did they all agree to do it like which one did they land first for a kind of a mediocre comedy Rob Cardry, Anna yeah. Gasteyer, yeah. John Michael Higgins, Thomas huh. Lennon, Ken Jong. That's uh, a lot of good people. Yeah. Anyway, Paul Shear. It has its moments, but it's not like I was wanting to rave about the movie just as much as that one joke is really good. It doesn't say that Thomas Middleditch is in it. Maybe but. he's not. Maybe I just watched too much Silicon Valley lately. It's uh, crazy because Craig Robinson was in This is the End. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But the, just the little locust screaming suffer stays with me. Every time I remember it, I just, I've started doing it to my wife and I had to like explain the whole thing to her because otherwise it's just me yelling, suffer for no reason. I watched that marathon on Saturday of season three. Oh, yeah. And that whole bit about the eggs killed me all over again. It's like, I don't want to count our chickens before they hatch. Well, 3% of them are born either mutated or dead. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that's Zach Woods saying yeah, that, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's, he's always my oh my god, he's so great. He's my he's my new favorite. He's probably my favorite comedy TV show character since maybe Niles. Yeah, like he's <laughs> that good. Yeah, I, he makes that show for me. Well, I love a lot everybody. of it. A lot of it is improv too. He yeah. just comes up with that shit. Yeah, like the shit about finding his birth dad. Yeah. He, he's always throwing in these odd non sequiturs. Yeah, like, like well, that time that I lived in my car for six months. What? I did watch. Uh, did you see Cafe Society yet? No, I have it in there though. But I haven't seen it. Man, is it good? Well, okay. So take okay. So it's like a like period setting, like mm-hmm. old Hollywood and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And Steve Carell is playing the big wig, and Jesse Eisenberg is playing the Woody Allen character. Mm-hmm. And so he's playing the Woody Allen character. So you take the most annoying parts of the Woody Allen character oh, no. and the most annoying parts of Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, my no. God. Put them together. Oh, it's my God. Funny. Is Kristen it's Stewart so in that, too? Yes, yes. Yeah. God, they like working together, don't they? I Kristen think they Stewart must. and Jesse Eisenberg. They've well, done like three films together. Mm-hmm. She they were is, in Adventureland. Yeah. Adventureland. Uh, they were in uh, the American, American Ultra. Ultra. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Was that any good? I haven't. I, this is another one. I got <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> you got a prejudice against Jesse Eisenberg. It's yeah, it's a fucking Stewart. great premise. When I saw that trailer, I was like, ah, somebody should have made this movie already. This is a great idea, but it didn't get very good reviews. So yeah, I haven't gotten around I, to yeah, it. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I have seen a lot of like, uh, just random movies that came out in the past year, though, because uh, I got their blue, you know, I got the Blu-ray mm-hmm. or whatever, and I'm like, oh, yeah, let's take a look at that before I go to sleep or whatever, and it's. Um, 
There, I mean, there's some. I mean, I've seen a lot of fucking movies lately. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when somebody asks me like, "Is there anything good out?" I'm like, "Well, I haven't seen anything in the theater since yeah. Kong." I don't think. Uh, but well, I've seen stuff at Belcourt, uh-huh. uh, and I've seen a bunch of stuff at Belcourt. Uh, but like, I've seen like all these 2016 straggler movies, like Nerve and uh, Oh um, yeah, yeah, Blair Witch and uh, Neon Demon, and uh, was it uh, God? There was just a there's like a bunch of just like you know who did Neon it? Demon? Is that uh, that's Nicholas uh, Winding, Nicholas Winding r- 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 a bunch of consonants? <laughs> yeah, that is a fucked up movie. Is it really? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's Elle Fanning, and she's like this like um, demure, innocent model, would be model or whatever, and she. Oh, I remember this trailer. Yeah, and she great trailer, and uh, and she runs. She's like basically going like. Her first shoot or whatever, everybody's like, there's just something about her, you know, like they can't quite put the finger on it or whatever. But she keeps running in it. She runs, she runs with this model crowd and there's like people who have obviously ascended much higher than her and they're like awful people Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's sort of like one of those, you know, can you keep your innocence as you rise through the ranks of something as, you know, vain as this and everything. But it's just a real dark. It looks dark as shit, man. I watched two movies back to back that had uh, had the words aberrant in the rating. Um, (laughs) The uh, I saw I saw. Uh, the Green Inferno. Oh, the, it's uh, bad, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just gore for the sake of gore. It really is. It's although, aberrant. Although it's though. weird. Yeah, it's weird though. I, I kind of dug it in a way. Yeah, it's, it's one of it's it's not good. Don't get me wrong. But I was like sitting there going, "Hey, you know what? I can kind of get on board with this. It's just <laughs> it's really fucking gory for ridiculous to a ridiculous degree." But like, yeah, in the rating, it's like an aberrant death scene or murder or something like that. And I was the, like, one of the dismembering. It's that one. Yeah, it's, it, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> it's aberrant as shit. It's like it's like it's like when you see something like that, you're like, I wonder what they mean by the oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh and, yeah. And so the neon demon has an aberrant sex scene uh-huh. in it, and I was like, okay. And so like, and it's like okay. It's, it's not going to be Elle Fanning that's mm. involved with this. So I think she's like 16 or 17 or whatever when she's doing this movie. Uh, and then I was like, well, maybe it'll be one of these models that they're talking No, there's something with Jenna Malone in there. Where, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who just randomly pops up in the movie. Like how she does now these days. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, you put your thumb up now. <laughs> Even in sarcastic mode, you're like, even if you're the biggest Jenna Malone fan in the world, you will not find it sexy. <laughs> but I watched them back to back. They both had aberrant in the That's rating. I was like, I was like, and uh, yeah, it was the same thing. I was like, when is this ever? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what they were talking about. Suffer! My wife was like, that trailer came on the other day and she was like, hey, have you seen this trailer? I was like, yes. She was like, what do you think? And I was like. I think it looks pretty stupid. <laughs> She's like, "Why? Wow, it's got Tom Hanks and Emma Watson." And I was like, "Yeah, that just it's a any movie that has tried to do this conspiracy of information technology yeah. thing has failed." And I'm going to need to see one before I go, "Oh yeah, okay, that's good." Did you like Enemy of the State? Well, yes, for what it is, but I don't think that was as much yeah, IT and software as this is going to be. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't 
it wasn't rampant abuse of privacy on anyone except Will Smith, mm-hmm. right? They weren't like surveilling everyone yeah. just after this one package. Anyway, um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> he's Bruce Wayne, and he's eating her. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? That's racist against the guy who has three thumbs in this, in this well, race. Well, I was thinking about that frostbite incident you had, and yeah. I remembered you actually kept both your thumbs from that. Mm-hmm. So you have six yeah. Yeah. We're just watching for the love of the game, or oh. for love of the game, mm. where Costner has that bandsaw accident. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Slices off oh, my God. Thumb. Yeah. It looks like he was... He's coming from the movie Fargo because it's a snowy scene. He's like, he's like, he's like in shock or something. He's like, hey, check me out in my bloody stump, Kelly Preston. Uh, there's a. That's what happens when you gesture with the battery. That's right. That's right. That's one of those moments where you're just you're just talking and you're like, I don't know what to say. And you say something worse. <laughs> Suffer! <laughs>